everyone, and welcome to the Australian Herb to Culture podcast. I'm your host, Jason. And I'm your co-host, Luke. How you buddy? Yeah, good, dude. Good. We've got our rhythm down pat now. We do. It's only been, <laughs> what, this is the 17th, is it, I think? Something like that. It's just, yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, apparently. It's just about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I enjoy this. I enjoy sitting down every Tuesday afternoon and talking to a, a herping buddy yeah, or a lizard good. buddy. It's good. Have a nice cold one. Have a chat. It's pretty much what it's all about, really. Yeah, exactly. It. Exactly. Are you having a drink tonight? Yeah, mate. Got a nice cold one there. Nice Coopers. Oh, Coopers. Yeah, I got Pacific a Coopers Gale. as well. Are oh, you on the greens? I'm on the blue tins. Yeah, I went to Aldi. I got a mortgage now, so buying beer from there is pretty cheap. <laughs> it's true. It's good too. <laughs> yeah. Get some get some good deals there as well. Yeah. I see bought- the old 150 lashes from there every so often. Oh, yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. That's a good drop. Yeah. No, how's things anyway, mate? You, you've got a little bit of a change behind you there, I can see. Yeah, I finally splashed out and got a bookshelf. Finally, it was a bit of funny. I was, I was going to. It's a bit of funny story. I was going to order it from IKEA. Jumped online because I wanted a black one. Um, I was at Bunnings, I think I was getting some other bits and pieces, and um, basically they were out of stock. I was sitting there in the line ready to order it. They're out of stock, so I was like, oh, anyway. Anyway, Fantastic Furniture is right next door to the Bunnings. So I was like, I'll just jump on Fantastic Furniture and see what they've got and basically found pretty much the identical bookshelf to the one I wanted and has the doors on it. I was like, oh, they've got some in stock. I'll just do a click and collect. Hit click and collect, paid for it straight away, went up, grabbed all the things I need for Bunnings, went to the counter. As soon as I got the checkout, I got, oh, your click collect's ready. So I just drove around the corner, loaded it on, drove straight home, set her up. And I was like, oh, this will be awesome. Set it up, put all the books in it, I'll have a bit of space in there filled up every single bit of space in the bookshelf so i might have to get another one now (laughs) (laughs) i reckon you're gonna end up with three behind you but it does look bloody fantastic i have to give you that no it can't good black it does it looks good and those doors are going to be really good too that's going to protect your books a little bit further yeah that's what i thought so yeah put a bit of a seal around it try and keep some of the crickets out (laughs) See, I've got the opposite problem to you. I bought a bookcase and I need more books to fill it. <laughs> well, I thought I'd have more room in there, to be honest. I didn't think I had that many books. Yeah. And you've still got a whole bunch in crates, don't you? Uh, that's all of them now. That's all of them? Yeah. I got all of them out. Oh, that's pretty good going then. It is a yeah. really nice bookcase for the, for the listeners at home. It's pretty much floor to ceiling, absolutely chockers. And he's done it all nicely too. You can see all the, all the you know, certain different types of books and different ranges and stuff all lined up perfectly. And you can definitely see a lot of doubles on there. Not going to lie. <laughs> some triples, some quadruples. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at that. For me, it's the top right-hand shelf. I think that's, is that your Danny Brown book selection? Yeah. Yeah. And there's like two types there that look like there's at least triples or maybe even... Maybe even a little bit more than that. So, yep, there is. <laughs> you might have to might have to sell a few of those on so you can buy some different books. That's the plan, I think. That's the plan. Yeah, I've got a couple. I'm planning on moving on. Took some pictures today while I was down here. Oh, cool. So, chuck a couple up. Make room for some more books. Get a bit of money for some more books. So, it's a never-ending cycle. Jeez. Mate, I see, I, I have the problem. I end up paying too much food for electricity and crickets and rodents and all that sort of stuff. And then when I get to the book side of things, I'm like, oh, I have to be a little bit tight here and I'll buy one copy of this and I'll do a bit of a bargain hunt and see if I can find one for cheap. 
So I found a, I found a thing to fill the void for collecting heaps of animals, just to collect heaps of books. <laughs> but you know what? Like, it's not a bad idea either because at the end of the day, as long as you look after those books and you're clearly doing that by putting them in a lovely bookcase like this, they're going to hold their value. And a lot of them actually not go definitely. up in price, especially if, you know, if an unfortunate author decides to, you know, leave us on this earth, then those books just all of a sudden triple in price. Yeah, or if they go out of print like yep. those ones. <laughs> like a lot of them on that shelf. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So how'd you but go this week? Oh, pretty good. <laughs> there may be a few more coming. <laughs> it's gonna become like a bit of a weekly joke, I dare say. Just <laughs> what'd you buy? Yeah, pretty much. So no, I've got a couple of um coggers coming. But I've got a sort it all out but yeah um actually today i got some of um gunter smeeger's books those um soft um not soft backs yeah the soft the paperback ones the monitors and the snake one so i had the dragons one but i got the um soft copies of the monitors and the snake one I'm waiting have you got yours them. yet no yeah. i'm waiting on them because i remember you you ordered them a fair bit before me didn't you yeah i think it was i was only about two weeks before you i think but they're still kind of like the, the, you know, you pay for them or whatever and then they get printed. They're not just yep. kind of like sitting there waiting to get posted. It's kind of, yeah, one of those sort of situations. Yeah, and then I think once they got here, they got sent through Aramax, which took, but they basically sat at the depot for like two weeks and then pretty much took two weeks to come from Sydney to Central Coast. So that was a bit annoying. You could see it sitting there like, oh, hurry up, come. But no, they're actually, I was flicking through them today. They're unreal. The, the monorail one's thick. I didn't think it was as, as thick as it is. Yeah. Have you got the Dragons one? The, the No, so I believe I ordered, if I'm not mistaken, again with the taxman money, I ordered uh, all three of those books. So yep. all the soft cover ones, I just thought, you know, I'll just do it in one hit, especially if they got to yeah. be printed and all the rest of it. So the only one so of his that I've got. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Pardon me. The only one of his that I've got is the the hardcover monitor book. Yeah. I actually want to get his rainbow fish one too because I'm a bit of a fish nerd as well. So I think that'd be yeah. kind of cool just to have the whole set. Yeah, no, he's got – when you get the books, you look at the back and it'll show you all of his books and you want more. <laughs> yeah. That's the trap. Yeah, well, you got me bloody hooked onto this next series I'm trying to collect all of them on. Oh, the uh, – Steve, Steve Swanson, is it? I think it is. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, that name sounds familiar. There's so many yeah. Steves and there's so many Swans and Yeah, I think it's Steve Steve Swanson, I think it is. Reptiles of Australia or something along those lines. Yeah, it's the field guide, isn't it? Yeah. Um I I got one, yeah. Steve Swanson Field Guide to Australian Reptiles. Yep. I got I got the I think it was the third edition. And then I knew there was other editions and I I've I've ordered the first. I've got the first coming. I ordered that ages ago. That's coming. I think it's coming from America, maybe. I'm not sure. No, that was in Sydney, but it's just got stuck in post. Um, but then I've tracked down the second, but you send me a picture of the revised second edition that I can't find anywhere. And I'm like, oh, bugger. <laughs> I knew it had a parenti on the front. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I think it might. And then you found it and sent it to me. I was like, oh, you bugger. I don't have that one. That's another one. <laughs> well, see, that's the only one I've got. So I've got to go looking for the other two now. So yeah, I've got the other three. Other three. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's They're a third one as well. The newer one. Yeah. yeah there's okay. a, so there's two second editions. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yours is the revised second edition. There might even be more. I'm probably like, I only know of the four, but chances are there's probably like another sneaky edition somewhere that's like a US print or something along those lines. Like yeah. there is with the Coggers. There's a couple of US editions that only came out in America. It's funny yeah. how that works, hey? So the Coggers yeah. is something that I've got to start collecting as well. They look yeah. like nice, really big, impressive books. Yeah, they're huge. They're massive. Yeah. They're probably the Bible, basically, when it comes to to hurt books. Pretty much. Uh, you can just, you can snap up a deal here and there, though, on eBay for some of them, especially some of the first editions. Oh yeah, well, I mean, I just snapped up a couple of deals on eBay. I got a mortgage now, so I'm trying to be a little bit more conscious about where my money's going, at least until I get the hang of things. But um, no, I ended up getting the. Just, just sell some Gillens, mate. You'll be right. No, no. <laughs> Let's not be stupid. <laughs> That's my retirement plan. <laughs> I'm kidding. My problem is, is I wouldn't even be able to sell them. Oh, I'd just be like, no, nah, we'd be too attached. Yeah, keeping them all. You'll have a room full of them soon, like me with a room full of books. I've already got a room full of them. What are you talking about? I've got 14 little buggers running around. Jeez. I was actually working from, well, I wasn't working from home. Well, I was filming videos and feeding lizards, so you can kind of call that working of some degree. But yeah, true. I was at home, uh, at home yesterday and, um, and my wife was on the desk and we got the desk in with one of the herp rooms. And she's like, Luke, there's something wrong with these animals. They're all hanging off the roofs and you know, doing all this sort of stuff. And all the gillons were just going mental because it was nice and warm yesterday. And they're just like running across the exoterra roofs and stuff, keeping her <laughs> keeping her a bit annoyed. But um, I'm like, yeah, you're just going to have to get used to this. But um, that was pretty funny. We were even trying to watch something. I can't even remember what we were trying to watch, but she was like on a lunch break and we went and we were watching something on the laptop. And uh, she turns around and I've like got two of them in my hands and I'm just like looking at the lizards and she's like, you're too distracted. You can't even sit down and watch this. And I'm like, but Gillen's like, this is yeah. Just, yeah, they're right here. That's the joys of having them in the house. I remember when I first bought this house, it was a three bedroom house and the, the spare room, or we had two spare rooms, but one room is basically, that's the one I set up yep. to have all the lizards in. And then obviously when we had my son, it was like, oh, We'll have that room and then the other room just become like the junk room. So I was like, oh, what I'll do is I'll build half the shed. So that's when I brought everything down to the shed. But the joys of having them inside is they're inside so you can go in the room whenever you want. Like if you've got 10 minutes to kill, you just duck into the room and do something. It's but so easy. Having them down in the shed, you come down the shed and then shut the door and, you know, I can't hear. So if she's yelling out to me, I can't hear her because it's like the shed's all insulated and everything else. So... And then if she hear this thing, she'd like throw a peg at the door or something and hear the door go bang <laughs> over the door and she'd be like, I've been calling you for like 15 minutes. I'm like, I didn't hear. <laughs> because the phone reception's not that good in here as well. So like I'd I'd walk outside and get like four missed call messages or something. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. It was funny. Like even the other night we were just watching something on TV and we there was like an ad break or something like that. And I was just like, hmm, I'm just going to go walk into that room and just see what, you know, everything's up to. And it's just so easy to be in there now like even though the garage um in um the northern beaches place was pretty close to everything and but as you know you had to go outside you had to put shoes on you know it's just a yeah. bit annoying to to go do that yeah but so, something i am actually thinking about that'll be quite cool is like my monitors in particular seeing more of me so then being hopefully less skittish down yeah. the line so you know just being able to interact with them a little bit more like in particular like the kimbo and the gillens and the tristus yeah like loki's pretty used to me now but um yeah you know the rest of them it'd be good to be a kind of bit more interactive with them and hopefully start getting them a bit more tame and 
you know, you see like the video of, of Rob's collection back in the day when it was here in Sydney and he's got like the, the Kimbo just running up his arm and stuff like that, like not a worried, worry about it sort of thing. It's like, yeah, I want that. You know, that's cool. And that's the thing. They're so intelligent. So you can like oh. do all that stuff with them. Like they know. They know. Yeah. They know your, your patterns and everything. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I saw you got some, some eggs out the other day, mate. Yeah, yeah. So got um, got a clutch of children's pythons eggs out. I think we t- touched on this a bit last week, but I yeah. finally got them into the incubator. Yeah. So I think the final head count was eleven, unless I counted it wrong, which I probably did. But any slugs? One's got a little bit of windowing on it, so that kind yeah. of like you know discoloration on the side of it. But the rest of them look pretty good. Um, I didn't bother even candling them to be honest. I just yeah chucked them into the incubator and. I try not to freak out with eggs now. I just go. They look but, pretty good in the pitchy scent. Yeah, yeah, they they do look really good. They look really well shelled. So compared to her clutch that she had last year, like they were really transparent all around. I just don't think she had enough calcium in her or something. So yeah, these ones look pretty good. Actually, that reminds me, I've got some mice defrosting for her downstairs to try to feed her back up. So I have to remember to do this after <laughs> after we record this. <laughs> um, That'll smell tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, worst case, at least it's. Because I'm I'm still here in the northern beaches, so worst case, Loki will get him in the morning. Oh, that's all right. Then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'll eat anything. He's uh he's not too picky. Um, yeah. So this is one of the books that I actually scored scored this week. We kind of got distracted again. Um, as we do. The first copy, or, or sorry, the first edition of a complete guide to reptiles of Australia by Steve Wilson and Jerry Swan. So pretty stoked i picked that up for 32 dollars, i think which that's not a bad bad buy you were telling me it was pretty good so yeah done well for myself 50 for that one yeah from memory and i got one of um richard shine's australian snakes and natural history as well so i think that was an older edition that one one with the green tree python on the cover isn't it yeah the knee in it yeah Um, that that one was like a combo deal it came with one of graham gow's book with an owen pelly on the front that can uh was it Snakes of Australia as well? Completely revised editions. So, yeah, yeah, right. I think that um, Snakes of Australia one. I think that there is a few copies floating around with a. I think it's a Burton's legless lizard on the front cover. So it was really like a misprint. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, th- I'm fr- I think it's a Burton's or something else. Maybe I can't remember what it was, but yeah. So it was like a misprint. Somebody screwed up. Yeah, and that thing's worth a mozza if you can find that. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure there is. I've, 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 yeah, that's I'm a bit certain. of a pisser too. Like to have in your like you know elaborate book collection like yours and have this <laughs> Snakes yeah. of Australia book with a legless lizard on it. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, I think that's like a real collector's one. That one, if you can find that one. Yeah. Or that, although maybe there's just talkings of it and no one actually seen it or something along those lines. I'm not too sure. Have you seen it? Oh, I haven't seen it. No. No. Yeah. Just That'd like be interesting. rumors of like a, a soft cover cogger over in the States, but apparently Hal said he's, he's never seen one. So. Hmm. so, yeah, it could be just one of those unicorn books. Yeah. Crazy, crazy books. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely an addictive thing. Like, um, yeah, I'm starting to watch a lot of listings on eBay and stuff now and going, oh, you know, maybe just one more, just one more. Oh, this one looks it's, good. It's cool when like especially with the coggers, like when you flick through like – you know all the updated versions and see all the changes and stuff as well. Even even the um, Swan books as well. Yeah, 
like you flick through it and see all the changes and the new species and the divided species and the gotten rid of species and everything like that. Like it's just yeah. cool to see all that stuff as well. Yeah, it is. It is kind of cool. I like going to those like really, really old books. Yeah. Like I think I got like we talked about it in the past. I think I've got one of Eric Worrell's like really, really old books. And, you know, seeing all the species names and stuff like that and like black and white drawings and that sort yeah. of stuff's really cool as well. Bit of a kick. See, that's, yeah, that's the other good thing too is it's like the history of it as well. Yeah. That's yeah. the other thing I like as well. So are, are you one of those guys with your books, like do you like them in their purest form or do you mind if there's like any sort of like little notation in there or? I don't mind them with notation and stuff in them. Like it's that's kind of part of the history as well, especially the older books. Like Yeah. I mean, a lot of those ones don't sell for as much as, you know, pristine copies that are pretty much basically new, which makes sense. Of course, yeah. But like um but yeah, like I've got a few of the I think some of the coggers are old older ones that are owned by older like people, I'm not sure who they are, but like they've got family names and dates and little messages on them and stuff like that. Like it's kind of part of the little history part of it as well. So. Yeah. It all makes it pretty fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, did you catch that photo that uh, Luke posted up on Instagram? Luke. Luke Youngins. Uh, when did you, which one's that one? Was that recently? Very recently. He was up in Kakadu. Let's have a quick squeeze. I probably have. As soon as I see it, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that one. But um, You have because you've liked it. Oh, there you go. Here we go. Oh, was that of the... Um... It's 200th post. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I saw it. I remember it now. So, he's got a beautiful gecko. beautiful velvet gecko. How do you pronounce that? It's Jim... Um, Jamada. It's... Jamada? Yeah, I'm not the best with the the names. Oh, you do a Jamada? Yeah, Jamada, I think it is. Yeah. Cracking looking animal, eh? Yeah. It's a good shot too. I like how he's kind of written up a nice um nice little story about it as well. And how yeah. he's been having like a crap day photographing and stuff like that and had to like Jerry rig a flash or something like that on his camera and, and make it work for the photo. But yeah, he got there. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, start, he's starting to take some really cracker images, Luke. For those of you out there, just go and follow Luke over on Instagram at L A J underscore wildlife. He's uh, just recently moved to Darwin, the lucky bugger. Yeah. I've been enjoying his story of his road trip. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, I know. It's we like Mecca. the idea of moving to Cairns recently. but Oh, yeah. We just want to guess, see what it's like in the middle of in the middle of summer before we make this decision. Sweaty. Moving up there, yeah. So <laughs> It's like if you can bear the heat. And, you know, I think it's like anything. Once you get used to it, you'll get used to it. But if you yeah. can bear the heat, you'll be right. You know, you got to be smart too. It's like the same as when we were traveling in Darwin and Cairns and stuff like that. You just, you don't do much during the middle of the day. Yeah. You kind of try to stay out of the heat a little bit and go and do your activities of a morning and an afternoon. And it seems like the, like, especially like the towns and stuff like that seem to come alive at those sorts of times, you know. Hmm. Everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. So that was just, yeah, when... Obviously, staying here for the time being. So, but yeah, well, I definitely want to get up. We have to go for a herb trip up there, though. Yeah, definitely. I'm stinging, dude. Like, I'm actually chomping at the bit. I'm looking at camping gear on eBay and stuff as well, going, what do I need? You know, like, just need like a little, 
little camp pillow and a few bits and pieces. Nothing too crazy. I've already got yeah. a bit of gear. But um, I've pretty much got everything. So got the swag. Basically, got everything ready to go. I yeah, just I've got, got a. Swag. I messaged. Um, I'm organising the uh, diffuser for the flash as well. I've just got to actually. I've got to do that. I've got to send off some pictures of my camera. Oh yeah. So I can get the diffuser all sorted for my flash. So pretty keen for that one. Yeah. Uh, even if like hypothetically, even if we can't go to Queensland or something like that, I'd, I'd love to do something in New South Wales, just go to somewhere oh, new sure. or whatever like that and love to jump in the car with you and just have a bit of a bit of a trip for, you know, a weekend or a couple of extra yeah. days over a weekend or something like that and just Leave on like take Friday off. and come back on Sunday or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just go somewhere, you know, if two of us can drive, so just get out. Okay. Yeah, so it'd be good to be able to take that too. I'm stinging to see Spinifex again. Yeah, right. Oh, absolutely stinging. Especially the whole lockdown thing, you know, it's just everyone's stinging just to do something, get out and go somewhere, see something different rather than basically be inside, go to work. I I agree, but I think once you finally do have that bit of a herping bug and that kind of like a little bit of an adventure bug behind you, like it, I think it just escalates it, you know, it becomes a little bit stronger and it's like, oh, all right, it's been a year now. Like I'm, yeah. I'm ready to go somewhere different. I'm ready to see something else. So, because my my last proper trip was, oh, I lie, I went away. That was February. I went to Alice, so it wasn't yeah. too long ago. But even still, you know, things are starting to warm up occasionally here and that. And I'm like, oh, you know, even just locally, I just want to go and find something. And we've had like a bunch of herpers on amazing photographers. Like, yeah, doesn't help. Nah, nah. Especially, so. especially with like the pre and post recording banter and stuff like that between all of yep. them, and you know shit stirring and stuff like that. Yeah, that's good. Show me photos good. I don't need to see of certain lizards, you know, but, that you haven't found. Yeah, that you went looking for. Yeah, I don't want to get started on that. I'll cry again. <laughs> uh, you've been playing with lights in your tanks too. You sent me a link today. I started watching the start of it. Yeah. <laughs> You're lucky. You get all the extra links, just like the patrons. Yeah, yeah. No, Gives I, um, you something to chat about too. So, yeah, exactly. No, so I had a pretty pretty cruisy day yesterday, just fixing up some lights above some tanks and stuff. I was yeah. using heaps of those Arlec down lights on a lot of yeah. little little tanks and that. And now that they're all lined up in rows, kind of neatly, I just thought I'd get some get some. Um, I don't even know what they are. They're like an LED baton light, essentially, like a shop light sort of thing. Yeah. So. I've got a few four-foots and three-foots and two-foots and stuff and lit up a whole bunch of animals. I'm sure my electricity is going to hate me shortly, but it looks good. It looks really good. The LEDs, are, so it's not too bad. Like, it's obviously still still a cost, but it's better than having a um, incandescent bulb over each enclosure. But I've got that on a lot of them too. So for yeah, like my UV. Well, for my Gill and I, for example, you know, they've all got like a 40-watt heat bulb. Yep. Then they're sharing like a 40-watt LED and they've got a 54-watt T5 high output 10.0 above them as well. So there's yep. a bit of juice there. <laughs> yeah. But at least you kind of like you've got multiple enclosures using one light as well in some cases as well. Correct. So you're kind of saving there as well instead of having yeah, yeah, you know, individual lights. And now that I've kind of set these rooms up the way I want them to, I've, I'm starting to run everything individually on those Arlec circuits so you know uv's on one leds are on one heat's on one so i yeah. can kind of back off the heat and the and the uv a little bit 
so the animals yeah. have enough during the day, but then the LEDs just kind of kick on for that daylight spectrum, so then they've got a normal daytime, you know. So yeah. it's kind of fun playing with that, though. Yeah. Actually, I tell you what, I did do. I did um, hook up that that fan the way that you suggested on the Boyd's enclosure to the. Oh yeah, how'd that go? Yeah, good, good, good. So I've just got it coming on currently for a couple of hours a day. It's like, yep. I want to say it's like first thing in the morning or, or early in the morning. There's a little bit of a breeze for about an hour, and then about midday as well. There's just another hit that comes through just to stir it up a little bit. Yeah. So, but it's really the, cool the way that I've got it all. Yeah, exactly. And it's cool to see, like, all of a sudden it comes on, you hear it come on, and then you see some plants, like, start actually, like, moving around in the breeze, like the ficus and stuff like that. So, a little bit of movement there. Yeah. That's one thing that gets overlooked is airflow, I think. 100%. It's something that, again, I'd love to have it on everything, but it's like, how far do you take it? Yeah. Yeah. And But you've got fans in your room anyway, so... At the same time, like if you turned a fan, one single fan on, like that would get the air circulating basically in the room, which would then again circulate it through the enclosures as well. See, I'd love to get that on these circuits as well to be able to turn them on and off like remotely. But um, I think you can you can actually get grid connect Arlec fans. Yeah, but I just didn't want to splash out for them. They're like an you extra. Probably hundred. just buy the controller. Oh, yeah. So if you've got the fan, you can probably just buy the actual controller that sits in the fan. Yeah. Maybe, unless they've just built it all into the fan. But um, Knowing my luck. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, their, their range is massive now, that Arlec range. Yeah. But um, I know I'll, I'll, I'm really enjoying the way the room's coming together. I think next weekend, all going to plan, I'd like to be able to move... It depends what the weather's doing. But I'd like to be able to move my frill neck, my Kimbo and my Gillens into yep. that other room as well, just so then like heaps of stuff's over there. Because um, the more stuff I get in there, the more time I can spend there. So, yeah. Have you got much left to, to move up there? or? So I got the mangrove. I've got the the frill neck, the Kimbo, the old Perry Gillens, the, the, yep. my, the my original ones, uh, the snake rack with five odd snakes in that. And then the outdoor animals. Yeah. So, even if I don't do the outdoor animals this weekend, I will. Sorry, if even if I don't do the other guys this weekend, I might start on that lizard pit that we were talking about. I think that was last week we were talking about that. Yeah. So, I think the next morning, I got got the confirmation from the wife. She's like, "Yeah, okay, fine. You know, <laughs> just do it." And I end up finding a garden bed on on eBay for I think it was like seventy bucks. So it was actually heaps cheaper. Yeah, it was heaps cheaper than the Bunnings ones. Um, yeah. So I jumped on that. I think the dimensions of it are, uh, I think it's 1.6 meters by 0.8 wide by about 0.8 tall. So a yep. little bit bigger than what I got like the blue tongue in at the moment. So I figured, you know, blue tongue and the Cunninghams in there, they should be all right, right together yeah. in there. And I'll, I'll give a few basking options and stuff for the Cunninghams to get up a bit higher and I'll, I'll mesh in the top. I've kind of got like an idea of how I can have like a drop-in lid essentially that yeah. I can just kind of prop up in the inside of it so it's not too complicated. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually kind of glad and, and stoked at the idea of being able to have some lizards, lizards outside there and not having to get rid of them. Yeah, so, no, that'd be good. Yeah, because well, you don't really have to. That's pretty much almost everything. It's obviously your turtles. Turtles. Turtles and then the snakes. I know I'm definitely going to keep the Antaresia. 
yeah. um, just because I've only got three of them and they're not going to get any bigger. Um, but my water pythons, I'm a little bit, how's it going on that? So, yeah, yeah, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do there. So, I might, I know one of the guys from work's pretty keen on them, so I might, might hand them off there. If not, then I might, I don't know, I'd like to hold on to them, but at the same time, if I'm there for another few years, I don't know where I'm going to have, you know, some more big liasis there. Yeah. Which is a bit of a shame, really, because it took me like 12 months <laughs> to track those buggers down. You could just turn bloody one of the cupboards in the room into an enclosure, mate. <laughs> I, have, I have considered that, but they're not that big. Like, I need to gut them out if I needed to do it properly. Yeah. And I don't really want to do that if I don't have to. Yeah. So, I've already turned one cupboard into a bookcase holding area slash filming equipment area, so... I still need some more cupboard space for storage, actual storage. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You don't and like, lose we haven't even got to hatchy season or anything yet. Yeah, that's exactly right. So You've once got... I start getting a few geckos and stuff out, I'm, I could be really You can enough. use least the space in the cupboard for some small gecko. That's my thought. Whatnot, so. Yeah, I've got a bit of space, especially that kind of exoterra room in the cupboards there. There's like these really nice deep shelves in there where I could kind of do like a few rows of... Like little, heat cord. yeah, heat cord if I needed to, or or you know at least have like a lot of lot of the smaller geckos like things if you got leafies out or something like that that'd be sweet yeah. sitting in the shelf there. That'd um, be fine, yeah. And then I might even I was I was talking to my father-in-law about this actually, but you know if if <laughs> if some of my snakes actually produce like let's say for example I finally crack diamond pythons or God forbid green tree pythons. Um, I might even set up like a dismantable snake rack for the middles of the rooms. So yep. even if I just do it out of like, oh, yeah. you, know, you know, that same sort of pinnacle shelving that I've got, just, you know, like yep. the little, I don't even know what it is. It's like 1,500 tall by about 800 wide shelving. You can set that into kind of like two two rungs. So it'd be nice and low in the middle of the room and you could just put heat cord down on that and then just tubs on top of that. Yeah. And at least then that's kind of, you know, it's still there. It's still a bit of space, but it's not taking up any of Danny's space or our living space you could almost do them on top of your exoterras too definitely if you just got tubs like and that would kind of keep them out of the way especially if you did get some green trees out that you know you wouldn't be yeah walking past and they'd kind of be nice and high yeah that's very true there's a bit of space there i've already had to put my incubator up on one of those shelves up there so that's taken up a bit of space but yeah no nah, it'll um It'll all work out. You know, it's the same as like when I hatch out any gillens and stuff, they tend to go into the tubs and just get passed around to wherever there's a free spot at the time. Like it's not hard to move a tub with a power cord to it. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Temporary enclosures exactly. everywhere until it goes back to normal usually. So although I do have yeah. a few more gillens than what I wanted at the moment. So You say that. I say that, but I know where they'll, they'll end up like, you know, there's the the ones that I've got on the breeding loan, and then there's ones that I'm kind of holding on to to hold out for other animals. So yeah, it'll happen. I'll get some more yeah. eggs this year, hopefully, and then I'll be all over it again and go, nah, I need thirty. <laughs> <laughs> it'll just keep growing, mate. Yeah, but yeah. um, no, I need to finish these um this frog enclosure. So you need a background for it, don't you? Yeah. Or when we're finally able to meet up again for anything, you just drop the enclosure around. And I think we've already spoken about this trade. Jason gave me a big 90 by 60 exoterra not too long ago. 
and I haven't sorted him out for it yet. So I think I'm trading him in enclosure for some of my handiwork. Yep. Saves me building enclosure. <laughs> Saves me parting with too much cash right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can spend exactly. my time doing that. That's all right. Yeah, have you kind of thought of any sort of like habitat or anything like that you want it to look like? Not really. Just something localish, really. Yeah. Some like nice like sandstone. Like, yeah, like the, the darker colors, like the sandstone colors, not so much the light. Like I like the um the look of the um what are they called? Oh, I can't remember the names of those backgrounds now. Universal rock. Yeah, I like the look of the I just don't like the colours of the universal rock. Yeah. They're too light, I find. They don't quite match. Some of them match, but um yeah, I like more of a darker background. When you say darker, what sort of colours come into mind? Like are you talking dark browns and greys or Yeah, like dark you know, if you go into like you you say you go into like your the bush and you're near like a waterfall and you're kind of like those darker grey yeah. colour. Yeah. They generally get the lichen and stuff on them. Yeah, yeah, I'm with yeah, you. Like that that colour. Yeah. That's I think you definitely make something like that. We could definitely make something like that. That's the beauty about making your own or or employing somebody to make them for you is, you know, you can actually make them to something that you want. And, you know, in particular, if you do have some sort of reference photos, like it's funny, everywhere I go now, I take photos of rocks. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I might use that later. You know, you can have a quick look at it and try to make a background that kind of resembles it or whatever. But yeah, yeah, I've got some ideas that we could probably run through for that. Um, would obviously we're just spitballing and just talking while everybody's listening to us now, but are you into like the three-sided background or just the back wall? I just like the back wall. Yep. I mean, the three-sided is good for, um, you know, like leaf tails and stuff like that, but things that can climb glass, I'm not too fussed on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like the Boyds, I wasn't too fussed on doing the three sides with the Boyds because basically they generally stay on the branches anyway. They might sit on the background on the odd occasion, but they're yeah, pretty much generally on the branches. So I haven't even seen my boys touch their background at all yet, which I'm actually stoked about. Yeah, how are they going? They're settling in now? Yeah, they're sorting they're, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Not not majorly. Like they're not doing anything crazy like, you know, lying on the floor or in the corner or anything like that. But yeah. They're definitely not eating as much as I'd like right now. And so they're having the branches and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. not even, not even like they're still out in the open. Like they're they're pretty yeah. confident like that. But you know, they're one of their favourite treats that they usually get maybe once a week or something is like a couple of the giant mealworms. Yeah, and they usually just go bananas for it. Like they in the other enclosure, they'd like leap to the ground and outside of the enclosure and like land on my hand to come and get yeah, them. Right. And uh, now they're like looking at them and they're just giving you that kind of like slow eye turn. Like, oh no, nah, I don't want to. Yeah. But um, I managed to get a couple into them uh, yesterday, so I was pretty stoked that at least they ate something. Yeah. So. These guys, because since I've put them in here, they're kind of doing the same thing. I've got one that hides in the ficus. He just lives in the – like you, you come on the branches of them and then he just sits in the ficus. And I've got one that sits in like behind the, the palm that I've got in there. Yep. And the others just perch. But they're starting to eat. They'll eat, um, they'll eat off tongs, so that's pretty good. That's It's good when you can eat, do that. So. Yeah, yeah, I guess I know they're eating because, like, to start with, they wouldn't. Yeah. Like, throw crickets in. Obviously, the crickets would disappear, but you wouldn't know who was eating what. Yeah. Especially with – but it's handy just being able to tongue feed them because you can see basically how much they eat and what they're eating. Yeah. 
That's one thing that I didn't do with this enclosure is make it insect proof. Yeah. So oh, really? yeah. So the mesh that I use is a um, it's like a five mil by five mil mesh. So it's quite small, but yeah. I, I do try to tong feed my boids pretty much all the time anyway, just so I can see yeah. how much food they're actually getting. Um, but then the other day I made the the fatal error of just going, okay, well, I'll just chuck in a handful of crickets and then hopefully you can go for it. And the next morning I woke up and there was like crickets all around the place. I was like, oh, <laughs> quickly collecting them before my wife saw me. <laughs> yeah. So. Just drop a bit of like carrot in the corner of the room or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, at least I learned my lesson quick with that one yeah. before we we're living there permanently. Oh, that's good. They're settling in there. Day by day. Uh, do you know what though? Like it, it looks freaking awesome when you go in there of a morning and it's like this warm white glow in the center of the tank and there's like not yeah. much else happening and then a couple of hours later it's like brightening up and you get that midday like whack of UV and stuff through there and then at like night at like 7.30 or so, it's like just got like this little tint of warm white in there as well. So, it's like yeah, it's it's amazing. Like it's so much thought. I put so much thought into it and it's – it's turning out like I planned, so it's um so far so good. And she's looking chunky too, your female. I don't know. I don't know if she just puffs up because I was like checking her out the other day, and I'm like, she's either. <laughs> I mean, Fat. she might have. She's she's <laughs> either she's either dug down and gotten rid of something, um, which is entirely possible because there is a bit of dirt around the place. Um, or yeah, she's just a little bit chunky. I don't know. But I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't see any eggs in her, and I was kind of like trying to touch her belly a little bit and see if I could feel anything. But yeah, yeah, and yeah, no, she's she's thick. We'll see. Oh, yeah, be good. Early days, mate. You know, if it happens this year, it happens this year. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm not too stressed. I just like seeing these animals in these sorts of environments. And you know, if you get a couple of babies, that's a bonus. Yeah. yeah. So I've um yeah no I'm just keen to. Get a few more tanks in this room and get a few more couple of the animals and just enjoy it. Like you're at that stage now where you've got everything kind of set up in, in a couple of the rooms and you've still got a bit to go, but, you know, you can kind of sit back and enjoy it. I've still got like stuff everywhere and just trying to work out like a layout and yeah, heights of enclosures and whatnot. So I don't know if we're able to talk about this at all, but did you order another box? I did order another box. <laughs> You're not going to talk about what it's for, though, are you? Not yet. That's not a, yet. That's a that's a surprise. Well, hopefully it comes off. But now I've ordered another box that I'll get set up, get it all sorted, make it all look nice, and I'm not even going to say the enclosure dimensions. Just we'll we'll leave our listeners kind of yeah hanging a little bit so they come back for more. Yeah. So that way <laughs> it's basically ready to go. So. That'll be good. I'm excited yeah. about this. I'm really excited about this. I hope it comes through for you. Yes, yeah, I am. It'll be golden if it does. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm keen. Like, oh yeah, it's. I mean, getting new books is good, but when you get new animals, it's just there's nothing better than you get that bag or you know container and you open it and you see it there and it's just like, yeah, it's almost like getting eggs and then seeing the eggs hatch. So, I was really like that with my. Um, my rough scales and my water pythons. Yeah. When I when I got them, that was like two animals that I was like incredibly amazed with when I actually got them out of the bag. Yeah. Um, the geckos I was too, like the leaf tails I was as well. But at the same time, it's like I, I chased the rough scales and the 
and the waters yeah. for so long. So when I did yeah. get them, it was like all that more worth it. Whereas the geckos was kind of like it was lucky timing and a bit impromptu yeah. sort of thing. So yeah, two different kind of wants. You don't see a lot of water pythons for sale though. You don't because they're jerks. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love mine, but all they want to do is eat me and bite me and shit yeah. all over me. So that's yeah, they'd love me then. <laughs> well, maybe that's where they can go me. and live. They can go and live with you. Oh, you just see me like you will click on, then I'll just have like bandages around my face. There'll be like teeth marks <laughs> everywhere. So, whole house would smell like musk. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, nothing like their wild counterparts at Fog Dam. I'm telling you from experience, those things were chilled as, but you know, they did smell a lot. So, I love scrubbies too, but yeah, there just seems to be a thing with um, a lot of the captive scrubbies as well. Yeah. Yeah, they get a bit of a bad rap. You don't see a yeah. lot of scrubbies getting around these no, days. not at all. Not at all. You used to, a couple of years ago, you'd, you'd see the odd few hatches here and there, but I can't, I'm a, I think I'm in a scrubby page on Facebook, but I, it's obviously overseas as well. Yeah. But um, you don't really see, yeah, you never see hatches. That's probably one of those things though, that there's lists and stuff and, you know, basically whatever eggs people get out, they're probably all spoken for anyway. I wonder if we would get to the point where I, I think, you know how like a lot of people were working with Parentis for a good period of time and then all of a sudden it was like they couldn't sell Parentis anymore and it was almost like their market of people that could buy Parentis was almost full, you know, because yeah. like something like that, like might be a bit different with a scrubby, for example, because obviously you could have them for a short period of time when they're small. So, but whereas yeah. like a Parenti still needs a fair bit of space off the bat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the thing, once they're fully grown, like you need quite a large space for both, so. Yeah. I mean, I was considering scrubbies a little while ago, well, maybe about a couple of years ago, and uh, I went down to that, uh, you know, next to the aquarium in Darling Harbour there in Sydney, there's like that Aussie wildlife wildlife world or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Went down there and I saw one of their adult scrubbies curled up in a ball and I was just like, holy shit, that's a big snake. That's huge, eh? <laughs> that is a big snake. Yeah, because I used to do a bit of work down there, um, like service work. And, um, yeah, I remember we'd had to do some service in a bunch of the enclosures and they went through and took all the animals out and they had the two ruffies, the ruffies they had the two scrubbies out, just let them like roam on the floor. Obviously, there was no one there. This was super early in the morning. Just let them like roam up the hallway. And yep. I remember just looking at it going, geez, this thing. I think it was like five meters long. I think yeah. one of them was. Like it was huge. That, that was a solid snake. That scrubby was as thick as my thigh. Like I'm not really a yeah. big guy, but that was as thick as my thigh. Yeah. Yeah. So these, they managed, they pulled apart. So like conduit that had been glued together, it just popped it open like it. Like it was nothing. (laughs) What kind of glue is that that goes together? Is that similar to like the plumber's stuff? It's pretty much the exact same. I think the plumbers use like a two-part one. Like there's a a pink one and a blue one, whereas we just use the blue one, which I I think it's got both in it or something. But, yeah, it's pretty much the exact same as the plumber's one. Yeah, well. So, yeah, I was just like, well, (laughs) yeah. So strong, beautiful animals, that's for sure. A lot of muscle there, that's for sure. Yep. What do you reckon, mate? We've just been yabbering on for like the last 43 minutes out of here. Jesus do you reckon we should <laughs> We actually had like a slight topic that we wanted to talk about tonight. Yeah. Rather than just us waffling on. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do that enough. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, do you want to lead us into it? This is yeah, kind of probably was... a bit more your forte. You, you know a bit more about it than I do, but I just own a couple. Yeah. We're just going to have a chat about leaf tails, basically. Everything leaf tail. Keeping, breeding, everything. So Enclosures, husbandry, yeah. all sorts of bits and pieces. Bit of natural history or, you know, habitats and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's um one of those topics. I get asked about it heaps. I don't know about you, but like... I used to, yeah. When yeah. I post pictures all the time, yeah, my, I get flooded with questions about keeping them. So... Um, it's one of those things similar to Boyd's and Angleheads and the cooler, you know, the cooler animals. People, I think, get them and maybe have one or two basically die because they've kept them slightly wrong and they think they're really hard. Yeah. But when in actual fact they're – once you've kind of get the environment right in the enclosure, they thrive. Like they're actually really easy to keep, I found. So I'm probably one of them the more – enjoyable geckos I found. Maybe apart from the Arajura because they were super active and a couple of the other ones. Yeah. But, yeah, I actually yeah, really liked keeping the leaf tails. So. I've really enjoyed them so far as well. I, and to be honest, I don't think they're as hard as what a lot of people make them out to be. No. I, th- I think maybe at the start when people, maybe they first come in and people were trying to keep them the same way with basking spots and this and that. But Yeah. But now there's that much information out there. Yeah. yeah, it's basically, yeah. The other thing I liked about them was I didn't have to have heat lights on, nothing. Yeah. So, but yeah. They were actually one of the first geckos I ever kept was some of the Sydney broadtails. Yeah, so I never kept broadtails because basically where I live, they're everywhere. Yeah. Like I've got a bunch that live under my house. So I was like, oh, I'd never never really found the urge to keep the broadtails. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they there's not really many fluoris you can actually. I think you can in a New South Wales. I think you can only keep the fluoris platurus on license. That's all mm. there is. Um, but there's, there's yeah, there's some absolutely spectacular fluoris. I think there's ten, ten fluoris. Yeah, there's ten, ten fluoris. But um, a lot of them are. Um, I think Scott touched on this when we had Scott on. A lot of them are in really remote locations and like really small, basically range so yeah they're pretty well yeah not and there's some of them that are hardly hardly seen so some of them i mean i didn't even know about really until you start looking in field guides and stuff like that and you go what the hell is that gecko i've never seen that because it's because it does they're not in the trade you know what i mean like yeah, and if you right, yeah if you're in the hobby for the hobby then you don't really see these sorts of animals come up yeah that's right you might see the odd picture on like on say like like Matt Somerville's page and a couple of those guys like you see pictures of them in the wild but if you didn't read the caption you wouldn't realize that they were different like yeah like there's a bunch that kind of looks similar um, to a lot of lot of people really yeah um, but yeah they're just spectacular some of those fluorus yeah there's a whole bunch of bunch of species there that's for sure and there's um. I'm just looking at this book that I've got in front of me now. This is one of Steve Wilson's one. What's the species? It's Araya oculata, occulta. I don't even know how to spell it, but oh, it's neither. That one got yeah. described back in – when was that one described? I think it was in the 90s maybe. I know. I think it was in the 90s, I think. Um, yeah, but that's um, – 
I've yeah, I'd love to see one of those ones. I think it's a Raya Occultus, I think it's how you pronounce it. Mm. But um yeah. They're stunning. So many different species as well. Like the, yeah. yeah, even just in the Phyllaris. And all the thin tailed ones too that don't actually look like a leaf tail or such. No. You nah. know, they almost look a bit more like a gyra or something. Just a bit more yeah, spiky like, yeah. and mottled. Cordoannulatus and yeah, I think it's Gulbrew. Gulbrew, I think you pronounce it. <laughs> Scott's probably like sweating at this yeah, right so now going, you bloody that. idiots, they're absolutely Put butchering this Latin. We can say Carby Isis Carby. though. I can say Isis. Yeah, Carby Carby. Nephthys. Pinnacolensis. So many different species. But, yeah, as far as habitat goes, I mean, a lot of these guys come from somewhat similar habitat. Yeah. yeah. It's all Pretty much like either those. rainforesty type rock outcrops or um, trees. Um, but I know, I think in Queensland they can keep the quarterannulatus, I'm pretty sure. I think yep. there's a few of them floating around in Queensland. But I have a feeling that people have asked for them to be put on licence here, but I don't think it's gone anywhere. That's pretty but, standard, um, though. Yeah. But, yes, yeah, so it's pretty much in New South Wales and pretty much anywhere, really. I think all you can really keep is the um, Flourish Platurus and maybe the odd quarterannulatus if you can find someone working with them. There is a few people, but not many. At least you can keep a few more of the Salto areas. Yeah, you can pretty much keep the majority of them, I think. Yeah, which is pretty pretty good. Um, the only one you can't is the Eximius. Is that how you pronounce, I think it's how you pronounce it. I think Eximius. so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the only one you probably can't find. KDA? There's probably people with them. Yep. Um, but, yeah. So I'd say the rest would be floating around. Um, but, yeah, there's – because you've got to think. So KDA and Maritzi were pretty much only split in 2008 from Swaney. Yep. So they were all classed as Swaney. So back – if you think back when people, you know, before licensing would collect them, they were all classed as Swaney. So there would have been people – they would have collected, you know, from like the Coffs region and that would have been Maritzi and then your KDA, which were up a little bit further north again and then further north again was your Swaney. So those populations, if they had have kept them and bred them, because if you look, like if you look at your Maritzi and your Swaney, you can tell they're different. Mm. Patterns are different, sizes are different, like they, they look different. So there would have, you know, people would have kept them separate. But, um, yeah, so I'm pretty sure that the majority of them were were in. Um, but the, the Maritzi popped up probably oh, four or five years ago, I think. I remember seeing them advertise, Hatchies advertised. I was like, oh, because I'd already had, I think I already had Swaney. Um, maybe I think I had the Wyberba and some Cornutus, and I was like, oh, these are awesome. And I think I remember jumping on some some Hatchies, and they were like, I wasn't sure how light, like big they'd get and everything, but, but yeah, they're stunning. Beautiful, beautiful. I have a soft spot for leaf tails, yeah. You wait to the end of this episode. You're going to be like, hey, Luke, you know, if you get any, <laughs> if you get any out this year. <laughs> I love the color and the patterning on the Wyberba, the 
like the the grey and the, that red like dorsal kind of stripe they've got going down the back with the white. Yeah. I had a few males that when they were like, because they change colour a lot, you've probably noticed with your ones, that depending on what type of background they're on and what type of temperature as well, they'll change a little bit. Like I found when they were cooler, they'd be almost lighter in colour. Yep. Um, which was weird. You'd think, you know. But, um, yeah, so I had a couple of – one of my male Wyberber, like in particular, he would have like – his whites were like super bright. Like, yeah, his tail was like real notch. He had like, like real big notches, notches taken out of the side of his tail as well. Like he was a stunning, stunning one. Yeah, they do that. Their tails seem to be really ornate like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And the Swainies are kind of similar as well with their tails, I found. But um, but you can't beat the tail of Salbrosis though, that big, huge tail. It's like this tiny little gecko with a dinner plate hanging behind it. Like it's just, they're massive. They're actually quite large, Yeah, the bodies on them. Oh, I'm Have saying in seen? comparison though. Oh, yeah, definitely. When you look yeah. at them compared to say something like Cornutus, like the Cornutus tail is kind of a bit more in proportion, whereas the Salabrosis tail is massive compared to yeah. the actual it's gecko huge. itself. Yeah. Even though that gecko is, is big. I'm actually, yeah. um, my, my Cornutus is starting to get up there. They're yeah. starting to grow like weeds. Yeah. Yeah, they're huge. I think they're the largest ones. So, Did you see them last time you were around? We, we were just kind of in a rush, I think, but. I'll have to get them out for you next time you're yeah. around once yeah. all this garbage is over. But, yeah. yeah, they're starting to get like, oh, yeah, they'd be about that. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, probably like a solid six to six to seven inches or so. Yeah. Pretty decent size. Yeah, well, they're the largest mm. um, that you can keep. Actually, I'm not sure how big the Xemius get to. Oh, they're about, I think it says 11.8 max. So about, yeah, about 11. Eximius is a really weird looking one though because they've got such thin, long legs as well as their body. Like their body still. And they've got really bulbous eyes. Yeah. Like it, I'd, love, I'd love to see one of them in the wild. Yeah, that'd be crazy to see one. But apparently it's like a helicopter flight and everything else just to get to kind of where they are. So Surely we can find someone with a chopper. <laughs> you need a bank account. <laughs> Go start, go uh, start a GoFundMe, I reckon. Yep. So, but yeah, no. So as far as like habitat and stuff goes, as Jason's already mentioned, yeah, mainly sort of like rocky outcrops in sort of uh, damp, humid forest environments where it's a little bit cooler, a bit more temperate, as well as yep. a lot of like tree tree life as well. So things like I think the northern leaf-tailed gecko, the Cornutus and stuff, is really associated with a lot of trees. Yep. I think the I think even with the Yberba, there's two separate populations. One lives on the rock granite, and the other one lives on trees. Like they're only found on on the trees in the other the other population. Yeah. So interesting geckos to keep. That's for sure. So maybe yeah. we'll get stuck into a bit of um. Well, like before we kind of get into that, how did you go finding leaf tails in the hobby? Like it. They're a bit of a tricky one to track down, aren't they? Yeah. So I took took ages to find people that bred them. Um, basically, I remember when I first saw, it would have been 10, 12 years ago, maybe even more, yeah, about 12 years ago. I think they were a lot more common back then. Yeah. Um, like you'd see posts for like 
your core neuters for sale, hatchies and everything else. And then they kind of just fell off. And then um, I remember seeing a pair of core neuters advertised and I was like, oh, basically jumped on them straight away. I think it was, was it core neuters? I think it was. I'd have to go back and check. Um, jumped on them straight away and I was just hooked. And then basically from that point on, it was like, actually, no, maybe it was Swainy. No, it was Swainy. Yeah, it was Swainy, a pair of Swainy, and um, bought them off a guy in Queensland. And um, yeah, I was hooked. But trying to find, trying to find them, and trying to find because I think obviously like there's there would be a bunch. I reckon. I remember I got a, um, I think it was a Swainy I got from Queensland years ago. Opened the container and it was like Regen tail covered in mites, and I was like. Basically, they're like, yeah, this is 100% message a person. They're like, oh, no, I kept them outside in a in an aviary. And I was like, well, I, like, yeah, I was like, what do you do? Like, you know, like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Can't really argue like, that. Like, it's yeah. entirely like, possible, well, right? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what you, if you did or didn't. And, yeah. And then, yeah. But, um, yeah, that, I ended up keeping that female. Um, I think it was a female, yeah. But basically, yeah, the hardest thing was just trying to find – and then trust people as well. Like yep. I, I found a lot of the sellers were in Queensland. Mm. So I basically was like, oh, I'll, I'll try and stay away from unless I know the people that, you know, and you can see pictures of babies and eggs and everything else. So kind of stayed away. I just basically I'd see people that had, had had them previously and sold babies and had babies and everything else and I'd bought them from then. But it took years to to get the collection and even get eggs out. I remember I bought a pair of Cornutus, had them for years and never got eggs out of the female. And then wow. I ended up, um, had the, I ended up keeping the female and keeping them. I think I actually traded the male with someone for another male to see if that worked. Still didn't work and I'm having to get another female, track it down another female. And then that was when I started breeding. But I thought I don't know whether how old she was. Like she was fully grown when I got it. I don't know how old she was, you know, if she just wasn't interested in breeding i got told they were a proven proven breeding pair yep. i never got i got one egg out of her and it was a slug so yeah that's a tough trot yep so yeah. it took years um but yeah there but it's it's kind of good to see that a lot more people have them now um yep. and are keeping them and having success with them as well i mean i'm not saying the only person has success with them but i think a lot of people are just kind of underground with them as well like you never really similar to turtles and, and frogs and that, like not many people. Back in the forum days, you'd see them quite a bit posted on the forums, but I don't know whether maybe people just, they were older animals or what the go was or people just got out of the hobby and sold them on and, you know, people just didn't breed them or whatever, but they just kind of not vanished, but, you know, they were just harder to find. Yeah. I find that, you know, whenever they did come up, they were gone real quick too. So yeah. you, you yep. didn't have a lot of time to jump on something if you did see it. Yeah, that's right. I, I can't even remember what made me. I think I saw an old post of yours for like a salabrosis or something like that that you'd sold, and I was like, oh, I've got to contact Jason and see if he's got any of these leaf tails kicking around. And I kind of picked yeah. up your your last little few, which was my downward spiral into leaf tails yeah. after that. But yeah, I got very lucky, and I was able to pick up what did I get off you. I got an adult adult Maritzi, a no, it was an adult, it was, it was adult white, white boba. Yeah, it was yeah. an adult male wild berber. It's a male, yeah. And then I got a 
Maurizzi and a Cornutus as well, which yeah. Maurizzi, I believe, is a male and the Cornutus was a female. Yeah. And a bunch of enclosures and a Miss King system. Yeah. So I kind of did like one big purchase off Jason. Yeah. I sent a bunch to one person as well, so they were kind of took a whole bunch of stuff. So, oh, that's good. It's better than selling little individuals going off in different directions and stuff like that, because at least yeah. then you've got a little bit of hope that you've got them all in the one spot, and hopefully there's a few people that have a bit more success with them. Yeah, I was able to pick up a um a good stack of them off off another guy as well. I got what four Weiberber off him. Um, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember how many. Yeah, yeah. So. But- they're old girls, though. They seem to be old yeah. girls. So I've, that's why I've been holding back the last couple of Wyberber that I got out last season. Yeah. If they drop off the perch, then yeah. hopefully I've got something there to kind of raise up through the ranks and keep it going. So, But, yeah, they're, they're, they're good to keep because they're kind of almost like a display gecko as well to a certain degree um, mm. if you can find them. I remember there's numerous <laughs> times when I'd like open the enclosure, like where they'll be moving because I had – We'll probably get into later, but I basically kept them all in bioactive plants and everything, and I'd be moving like birds' nest ferns and this and that, and then it wouldn't be like I'd be pulled like because I had a lot of cork bark, and then I'd pull a piece of cork bark back, and I'd be looking, going, "Where is this thing?" And I'd just see the tail just sitting right near my finger. I'm like, I don't know how I missed that. Like, <laughs> yeah. So they do a bloody good job of blending in. Yeah, that's for sure. They really rely on that camouflage. That seems to be their number one thing with their body patterns and mat- uh, like the mottledness to them and the tubicles right. and all the rest of it. And the, obviously the leaf tail, hence the name, you know, they're really yep. relying on that to be able to stay safe while they're out there hunting for bugs and all the rest of it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they're just, yeah. And the size, I think that's the other thing too is the size of them, like especially your cornutus and your salabrosus. Like they're such a large-bodied gecko. They're seriously impressive. I think they're, yep. well, yeah, I mean, the Cornutus, now that they're growing up for me, they're the biggest geckos I've ever owned. Not yeah. by weight, but by size, like sheer yep. size, they're monsters. Yeah, absolutely huge. And then, so I think the Salibrosis are probably almost the same size as the Cornutus, just due to their tail. But I think because obviously they measure them, they measure them snout to vent. Yeah. So... I think they're a little bit smaller, maybe, than the Cornutus. Um, but yeah, with that tail, they're just, yeah, it's huge. Actually, no, it says on the, yeah, they're pretty well the same size, snout to vent. Yep. Yeah, they're not too much different. So, yeah. I think the Cornutus always just gets called the biggest, but the Celebrosis's tail is a lot wider. Yeah, and, and longer. Mm. Like their tails could be like five, six, seven centimeters long. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So, Let's let's talk a little bit about like some basic husbandry then, and you obviously you got to start with how you're going to house them. So, what was your sort of like preferred method? The preferred method was just exoterrace, purely because one, I like the look of them. Yeah. Two, I found that I could keep the bioactive terrariums and keep in enough humidity, but still also have that airflow, so it wasn't it wouldn't get too moist. So I'd have obviously the misting systems, but then that airflow with a whole big large vent, it's not like a um, dart frog or a frog where you might want to keep a little bit more humidity and moisture in. You wanted that airflow to dry the soil out so it didn't get too damp in there. So Mm. I'd um, set them up in a, pretty much the majority of them, I set up in a 60 high, 45, 45. I'd have a pair in there. And I had, 
except for like the white berber and the smaller ones the maritzi i'd have um i'd have maybe a trio in there but basically i just went bioactive soil plants and cork bark slabs basically lent up against i bought some cork bark backing and just stuck that on there as well um and that's pretty much how i had them all all set up but the larger um cornutus and um salabrosis i had in the 60 60 45 so that little bit extra width i mean i would have loved to have kept them in a little bit taller enclosure maybe one of the 90s but um yeah i just never got around to to doing that so pretty much bioactive is how i kept the majority of them but i also did keep some white berber outside here on the central coast in a um i think i spoke about it once before in a plastic tub just with mm. a vented roof. Um, pretty much I didn't have plants in there. I just had quiet peat um, um, substrate and just um, slabs of basically cork bark. And they, yeah, I'd come out at night time or I'd go to work first thing in the morning and it'd be like single-digit temperature and they'd be out hunting food. Yeah. Sitting off, off, off the cork bark slabs with their head out looking for, just trying to look for crickets and stuff. And I actually got eggs. I, I kept Swaney out that way too. That's right. Yeah, uh, Wyberber and Swaney. And I got eggs out of both in that enclosure. So That's unreal. Yeah. So, go yeah. But it's, it's it was amazing to see them active at like almost single-digit temperatures. Yeah. With no heating or anything. And it was on a – it was between a shed and a fence. So, basically, they'd only get like – mottled sunlight through a tree so there's a big tree over there as well so they get a little bit of mottled sunlight um through the day and it just basically so there was no direct sunlight on the on the tubs yeah oh that's pretty cool though yeah that's something that i've definitely been toying the idea with but i'll kind of get into that as i go through how i've kept them now so the first gecko or the first leaf tail gecko that i actually kept was the platterus so i had a bit of experience with those not only when i was a kid which i won't count that but i actually kept them when i kind of got into the hobby for real and i kept them in a wooden enclosure um just something that i actually made i think it was out of an old bookshelf sort of thing and i did like a swing swing door on the front of it with a bit of perspex or whatever kept them super simple didn't no heating whatsoever and there was just basically a deep sand and coir pit mix substrate um and i just misted them I think once or twice a week, I just lightly misted the enclosure just so there was a yep. little bit of relative humidity in there. To be honest, there probably wasn't too much ventilation in that tank, which was, you know, not a great idea looking, but looking back at it. But I misting it once or twice a week would have helped keep that moisture down too, whereas my misting, mist kings were going, were good to go every day. But that was yeah. purely more so for the plants, so. Yeah. Yeah, but, so. Um, but no, that like I found them super, super simple to keep. Um I did have just kind of like one of those cheap backgrounds you get off eBay or whatever like that, just silicon to the back wall of that enclosure. Yeah. So they'd just be running up and down that all the time. You know, just bark slabs kind of laid up against the the back wall as well. So they had somewhere they could kind of retreat around. Obviously, these geckos don't have those um, sticky toe pads like a lot of your other velvets no. and stuff like that. So you've got to give them the space to actually climb around on these surfaces. And, so. the, and the rough surfaces. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, so they don't they do... Climb that. the silicon on the side. Yep. of your enclosure, but that's about it. Yeah, and that's only because they think, can get their toe in it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They've got they've got some pretty sharp claws too. Yeah, they do. Times. Especially yeah. some of the bigger ones. They got to yeah. like, leave you with a couple of little scratches on your hand afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then from there, I obviously followed Jason's suit with the Exoterras 
but um, something that I was actually talking to Jason just before we hopped on here is I was toying with the idea of doing some of those. What what are they? They're like a uh, aluminium um, mesh Fly screen mesh almost. Like a, yeah, they're like a, a, a stick stick insect stick. terrarium sort of thing. Yeah. So I'm toying with the idea of maybe doing my Yberber or something outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people used to keep um, their leaf tails in those enclosures years ago. Oh, there was lots of posts floating around on the old Aussie Pythons forum and stuff like that. Um, I think it was more so to do with trying to keep temperature down and this and that in hotter hotter climates. But, um, yeah, a lot of people successfully kept them in there. It would be perfect, especially if you're going to keep them outside on your um, on your deck. Well, they're the kind of animal that I'd feel quite well keeping outside too, not only because there's not going to be prying eyes looking at those kind of enclosures really, um, yeah. but it's also the like I've, I've got two courtyards. One gets a lot of sun, one gets near to no sun sort of thing. So yeah. on that side where it does get a bit of that mottled sunlight in the morning, then that might be the kind of side that I could hang hang a couple of those enclosures off the wall or something like that and, yeah. and keep them there. Yeah, that'd be perfect, but especially for those mesh mesh enclosures. Yeah, you'd probably find you could keep almost the majority of them outside. It just might be the winter with maybe your your um, cornutus, but then again, you probably wouldn't want them outside. But well, you just move them inside. I, I'd yeah. want my cornutus inside. I think just keep it a little bit warmer, a yeah. little bit more humid. I suppose you know year round sort of thing. I feel like the Yberber might be able to dry out a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd still kind of alter things a little bit. I'd probably put like a large tub in the bottom of the enclosure just that I could put like a deep substrate in so that yeah. not only could they nest in there quite happily, but, you know, you could spray that down quite regularly just to kind of bump up some relative humidity down there and you could put some like bark slabs or something on top of it. So if they wanted to kind of hold a bit of humidity, they could get under the bark slabs in the bottom of the, the mesh terrarium or whatever and go from yeah. there. I'm really starting to toy around with the idea now. Like I'm, I'm going, yeah, I've got like the perfect spot for it. At least the white berber, I reckon that'd be really good. You could probably do the morits out there pretty easily as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you could because it's almost the same temperature as um, coughs really if you think about it. Well, they get further south than that as well. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I think they come down to like the Barrington Tops, yeah. which goes which snows up there. So um, yeah. So, yeah, you could definitely do that there with them as well. Um, that'd be cool. I think I'd just shield them a bit from some weather and stuff like that. Like I might kind of yeah, like Yeah, it might be worth them. putting maybe some perspex or um, something on the side of one just to stop maybe a bit of wind on one side or something. Yeah, or even like core flute, something yeah, like that. Flute, yeah, something like that. That might work well. Um, and I'd probably put some sort of like maybe like a clear – roof sheets type thing on the top of it just so they're not getting like hammered with rain or anything like that and then i'd probably do something like a rollover drop sheet or something just in case it was getting quite quite heavy rain or something like that there yeah but and again those another misking and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those enclosures though they'd be super light just to be able to pick up and move oh, inside definitely. though on those yeah. kind of nights you just be look roll out a towel on the carpet chuck the enclosures yeah. on top of it you're sweet yeah and you could even build like a, you know, the cube lock you can get from Bunnings, the aluminium mm. cube lock. You could just build like a little rack out of that just to sit them on. Yeah, <clears> true. If you didn't want to mount it to the wall. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. A couple of dolly wheels on the bottom so you can yeah, move around. Yeah, because I looked at making years ago enclosures for them out of cube lock. Yep. But it just worked out to be too expensive by the time you got like all the cube lock and then a side and everything else and 
perspex warps a little bit. These um the the enclosures that I'm talking about, you can find them on eBay. I think they're about a hundred bucks. They're black and they're forty five by forty five centimeters by eighty tall. I want to say, yep. but I have a feeling that I might because I'm luckily in the industry, I might be able to get the Exoterra ones a little bit cheaper. So, yep. so I can get things for just about cost. So, and they that you can get those. I think they're sixty wide, forty five deep, and ninety tall. So it's a little yeah, bit right. bigger as well. So you taller, might yeah. you might be able to do a bit more like a colony situation in something that big. Yep. So that might be the go for me. Yeah, I mean, you could keep them in all types of enclosures: wood, glass, fly screen. It doesn't matter as long as you can keep the temperature down. That's the main thing that these mm. guys have come to is temperature. I found so. I was definitely freaking out last year with summer and stuff coming through and we had those few hot days and stuff like that with these geckos in my garage was copping some pretty brutal heat and obviously having a yep. range of other animals in there as well that you know heat up the garage and that's half the reason why I've gone so elaborately down this grid connect sort of wormhole is to be able to turn all this sort of stuff off for the switch without being at home, you know. So, And that's mainly for these kind of more temperature sensitive animals like the boids and the the leaf tails and, and the likes and the green tree pythons and stuff like that. So, mm. yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's good to be able to control your temperature. I even at one point when I had the the leaf tails originally, the three that you gave me, when I had them up here in the bedroom, I set up um, fans on them as well. Yeah, okay. And that was really good to keep the temperature down. And I actually had them on a cooling thermostat. So, when the room got above 27 degrees, the fan switched on. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So... Before I um, so before I got this shed sorted and I bought like a little portable air conditioner for the hot day. So before I did that, I used to go and um, fill up Ziploc bags with water and put them in the freezer. So any hot day, I'd basically every day I'd check the temperature, and then I'd, before I'd go to work, I'd come down and just bring all those bags down, and just basically pretty much where the geckos always sat, I just stick like an ice block kind of relatively close like a big bag filled with water so that way if it did get hot they still had that option to cool themselves down and by the time i got home from work it was so basically my shed would get the hottest in the afternoon because there's a some big gum trees behind it so that would shade the sun in the morning um there's a passion fruit frying over the side of it so that would shade the sun basically till about midday one one o'clock ish and then once it kind of cracks past the trees and the vine is basically sun on one wall pretty much all afternoon so that was when they'd heat up so by the time i got home from work the um ice pack would just be would be melted but it'd still be cool so it was basically perfect timing and then i went out and bought one of those little portable air conditioners from bunnings and um basically just yeah set that up so it was on a little like thermostat so if it basically got too hot, it'd just kick on. If it got over, I think I set it at 20, 29. Once it got to 29, the air conditioner would kick on. And it's just one of those ones that just blow it till it like just keep cooling basically all day. Yeah. Pretty much. So, I mean, it wasn't the best air conditioner, but it did its job. It kept everything everything cool enough. So, yeah. No, they're definitely handy. I had a little portable air con here. I actually got it off um, Gumtree. Yeah. Off some fella for like 60 bucks noisy as all buggery yeah, and that's the, that's the whole reason he was getting rid of it he's like oh him and his partner couldn't sleep with this thing in the bedroom I and they basically have two speeds 
yeah. flat out and flat out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no kind of in between. <laughs> no. But no, I was um, it was one of those ones that was like an evaporative one, so you needed yep. like that. Tr- it had like a tray that would Trying fill up it. with water eventually. Um, yeah. But I ended up just plumbing a hose into it. I think I drilled a hole in the tray or something like that and just plumbed a thin hose outdoors and like just straight onto the lawn so that it never had the excuse to run out or, or stop. I did the same thing, yeah. Yeah. And then and I, I just drilled a hole in the roof for the for the vent, like this where it sucked the air in. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I did the same. So I, I then it also had like a duct out as well where it blew the air out. So I yeah. had that going out the window. And if you walked past that window on a hot day, you'd cop like hot hot air to the face or hot something air. like that. Yeah. It was horrible. Um, but, you know, like at, at, at times that definitely saved my animals. So, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to have that as an option. I'm lucky enough yeah. now that my animals are indoors and I've got air conditioning indoors Yeah, and, you know, all this sort of control and stuff on the heating elements of all my animals. So yeah. as far as lighting goes, did you actually use anything to light up your, your geckos? So pretty much the only thing I used for these guys was um, LED plant grow lights. So I had jungle dawns over all of my um, my terrariums for these guys. Yeah, that was pretty much all I used. I mean, you could use UV on them as well, I guess. But the only reason I didn't was because the majority of the ones I had, so I obviously had all the bark all stacked up. They would hide under the bark, mm. so they basically they wouldn't utilize the actual uv yeah so if i had a bark stacked up against the background there'd be one like tucked up right up high and there might be one on the other bark slab pretty much upside down yeah um and then they'd basically never see the uv so i never really bothered with uv i mean you could like there'd be no harm in trying it they might actually come out and maybe even look for it i'm not too sure but um, yeah pretty much just use jungle dawns just for the plants and obviously it looks good too it gives a bit of light so yeah what about you I definitely think like any lighting spectrum or any natural looking lighting lighting spectrum for any animal is going to be beneficial, at least if it's a day and night cycle sort of thing. Yeah. So to really yeah. regulate them quite nicely. Um, so yeah, so I use 6,500 Kelvin uh, LED buttons. I don't even know what you call them. As I said earlier, like they're like a shop light, like you literally yeah. use them in warehouses and stuff like that. So I do use those for, for these guys. Um, I also have like little down lights and stuff that I use on top of some of the smaller exoterras. Uh, but I have started using UVB on my geckos as well. Um, this is just across the board. I'm trying to use UV on everything now just to see if I can really just give animals the option. You know, I figure yeah. every animal's got the option to crawl out of a dark crevice during the day and get a little glimpse of it if they need it or if they mm. want it. Um I've, I've seen my geckos hanging off the exoterra roof underneath the UV, whether that mm. means they want to use it or they just happen to be hanging there. Like, I can't tell you. Um, but I believe you can keep them in either way. You know, I've yeah. got some geckos without it. I've got some geckos that have only just given it and I've got some geckos that have had it for probably six to eight months now. So these are all leaf tails I'm talking. Um, mm. And, you know, they all seem fine. I, f- I figure as long as you're feeding them, you know, decent calcium supplements that's and stuff right. along the line, then that's going to keep them nice and healthy whether you use it or not. Yeah. I mean, I never, yeah, I never did just purely because, yeah, it was just personal preference really. Yeah. But as long as you keep the calcium with D3 up. Yeah. They should be fine, so. And again, like I will reiterate the fact that I'm not using UV all day with these guys either. Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to, it. yeah, I'm trying to make my T5 globes potentially last two to three years so 
you know, I'm only using them for a few hours a day on some of these rainforest species. So it's a little bit different to, you know, maybe somebody is keeping your gammas or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an option for them. So, I mean, if you can give them all the options, they can suit pick, basically pick the areas they want. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And if you make it like a little rhythm as well, you know, so like you were saying about your points, how you have the lights come on in the morning and then the UV kind of comes on for a few hours during the middle of the day and then it shuts yeah. off and then they've still got the, the, the LED or whatever on after that. At least that kind of creates a bit of a cycle so the animal knows when there's going to be access to these sorts of things as well. So it, it can prepare yeah. itself to, to come and use it whether it wants to or not. That's right. So... So you kind of touched a little bit on misting as well, didn't you? So yeah. ob- obviously we've both used misting systems with these guys. Yeah. I just found it easier. It was just come down to especially having the plants. I mean, like I said before, you don't have to have a misting system to keep the leaf tails. No. Um, you can just mist them with a spray bottle if you want. You don't even have to mist them really. Um, you could just wet the soil with – like I never misted the geckos directly. No, no. Um, I'd have the misting system, but that would miss the soil. So you could basically just spray the soil, which should give them enough humidity. Um, but I did find when the misting system would go off, a lot of the geckos would actually come down and drink the water droplets off the leaves of the plants, especially mm. the bird's nest ferns. So I, I supplied water bowls to all my lizards. Um, I never once saw the leaf tails drink out of a water bowl. I never see it with just no. about anything. No, neither. So as soon as that misking goes off, they'll drink, even the boys, as soon as the misking goes off, they'll drink the water off the leaves straight yep. away. Um, yeah, I've never saw them. I mean, it's not to say they haven't did, they drank out of it. They might have drank out of it when I wasn't watching or something. But, yeah, I supplied them with them, but I'd always see them drink during the day off the misking system. Yeah. But before I, I got the miskings, though, I just used one of those, you know, those hand pump misters. Yeah, yeah, I've still got like one. The larger ones, I think they're like mm. a, I've got one here still as well because I spray the bottom of the soil. Yep. In the in this enclosure, a little bit more than the misking goes off because I want to just because I've got a lot like a large soil area. The misking, I'd have to run it for a few minutes to basically water all the plants. But be yeah, I just to walk around with one of those pump bottles, spray all the enclosures down, give it a nice big spray over, spray all the soil, go to the next one, do the next one. So. I love those mist bottles. They're, they're probably, I don't know, about 20, 25 bucks from Bunnings. Yep. But they're like a big – people would use it for like weed killers and stuff like that and they come, yeah. come with like a shoulder strap and they might yep. be like – I don't know what they are. They're between like five and ten litres or something yeah, like that. So the one I've got here is five. Yeah. They're a pretty yeah, decent-sized bottle and they've got like a little hose with like a, a bar with a trigger on it and stuff. They're fantastic. I love those things. I found though that I couldn't I, – this one's the one I've had the longest – but they never seem to last long. I don't know whether maybe I'm putting too much pressure in it, but basically the bottom would always – it always leak out of the bottom. This one leaks now. If, so basically as soon as I'm done with it, I've got to take all the pressure out of it. Okay. Otherwise it just leaks water. I've had that issue with every single one. I think Or, yeah. or that leaks it basically with the pump that you pump down. Yeah. Break in that top seal or something. In. Yeah. Do you, do you decompress your one after every use? Every time, yeah. Yeah. So, I think mine's coming up to probably about two or three years now that I've had this one. So, it's yeah. had a pretty good innings and it's perfectly fine currently. Um, yep. But I used to have issues with those smaller kind of like two-liter ones that have like the little mini pump on top 
those yes. ones used to yeah. go like you, every six months. Like the handle was the trigger built onto the yep. top. Yeah, I started with those ones and yeah, I was the they same. They are rubbish. I, yeah. can't, oh, I hate those ones. So I think I've only gone through about two, maybe three of these ones, but those ones that you said, I think I went through about 10 of them before I bit like it, it was almost the same price. I don't want to didn't just get one of these to begin with. Yeah. But yeah. I love so, my one of those though. Like I use it for everything. I use it for like doing enclosure builds when I'm like spraying like acrylic paints and stuff like that. Yeah. I use it on all my animals. I love using it on my pythons too because like, you know, you get a bit of a rainstorm come through or whatever and you want to sim- simulate a bit of rain on, on yeah. any of your animals. It's good to just quickly pick that up, pump it up, just give everyone a light mist. It doesn't have to be yeah. anything crazy, no, but you can just right. walk around a whole reptile room and just jet everyone just quickly and lightly yeah. and just to bump up the relative humidity so then they feel a bit more like they're outside in the natural elements as well. That's right. Yeah, I used to do the same thing. Every yeah. time a storm would come over, come down with a spray bottle and spray everything. Bloody good way to get your frogs croaking. Yeah, I can't wait for that. They should actually start soon. I, we had a storm last night and I was on the back deck with my ear out just seeing if I could hear them going. I didn't hear the local ones going. So, yeah. Um, Did you go in and give them going. a little hit? No, nah, I didn't because it was it come over at like 10.30 at night, I think. Oh, okay. And the... Our dog spewed up all over the rug, so I had to go and clean oh, up bloody dog spew. So, and I was like, oh, I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that was fair so, enough. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Uh, I, I made the mistake the other night when I was staying up at uh, the other place and I was like, I was trying to get a shot of the Boyd's enclosure with like the Miss King system, like spraying the Boyd's enclosure. So I'm yep. sitting sitting there holding the trigger on the Miss King thing, you know, that little button that yep. you press up or whatever for five seconds. Yeah, thanks for showing me that. I didn't know it did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to teach an old dog a new trick. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so I'm holding it doing there and I was kind of doing it for about a minute. And that was like maybe 10.30 at night. And my filicroa, that little green shrimp frog, did not shut up the whole damn night. I'm like, I was so lucky my wife didn't stay up with me that time because he was going off the whole night. I'm like, I'm going to have to get rid of this guy. He's so yeah. loud. I was like, he's going to get the neighbors all pissed off. <laughs> so, I know a place he can come if you wanted to get rid of him, mate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it'd be, it'd, it'd be more space for Gil and I or maybe some There's more for Wissapoda or for something it, like that. So you're technically not getting rid of it. It's it, it is nice like that with friends. At least there's it's the like a boomerang like, if you ever wanted a back at seals. Yeah. <laughs> at least but, your wife uh, loves frogs. Yeah, loves them. So is my son. That's so, so good. But um, but yeah. What about breeding? So how when you set up your enclosures, did you set up any specific lay boxes, or did you just let them dig the soil? I haven't yet. Um, yep. I have done that with geckos in the past, but I'm now kind of turning into a bit of an all cage nesting option freak so i just end up putting deep substrate across the whole bottom of the cage and then that way they can find an area that they might prefer because even though i've kind of created somewhere that they might prefer or or, sorry that i think they're going to use it doesn't mean that they're going to be up to standard with it you know so yeah i found now granted i've only bred white berber yeah uh and they were in a substrate that was probably I'm going to say between eight to 10 centimeters deep along the bottom of the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that they kind of laid in an area that was in between where the Miss King would really hit and the dry side of the enclosure. So it was kind of yeah. like that sort of semi, semi dry, semi moist sort of area. Yeah. Um, but no, I just used full cage nesting essentially. Yeah. What about you? So I set up in all of my enclosures. I think I spoke about this maybe once before on the podcast. So I would go to, 
to the plant, uh, like Bunnings or something, and buy yep. plastic pots. But I'd get two plastic pots, so I'd bury the pot in the soil. So the, basically, my enclosure would like I'd have le- the least amount of soil in the front, yeah, and then it'd slope up to like a high point of soil to the back corner. Yep, I'd have a pot buried in there, and then I'd have another pot sitting inside it with a saucer lid on, with a hole cut in the top. Um, and basically, I'd have sphagnum moss kind of around that as well. Mm-hmm. But inside that, I just have choir peat and a little bit of sphagnum moss mixed in. So basically, I'd sit that pot in the corner. I'd sit a slab of bark over it as well. Yep. So basically, you couldn't really see the pot. Um, and they'd obviously perch on the wall and on that and on the other ones. But basically, they would crawl down in there, dig in there, lay in there. And then if I wanted to pull the pot out to look for eggs, I'm only pulling the pot out. I'm not pulling the whole pot out. So one pot would essentially stay in the soil. So it's not damaging tree roots or anything plant roots not tree roots any any roots in the soil basically so it would all stay fixed but i'd also put a little bit of fly screen in the bottom of the pot so that way none of the quiet pit would come out the holes in the bottom of the pot yeah okay so with that though my swainy salabrosis cornutus were the only ones oh and wyberber so the majority of them would lay in it. My Maritzi wouldn't lay, would never, ever, ever lay in it. They would pick the shallowest part of the enclosure, basically where where I had a piece of cork bark, basically pretty much almost tied up on an angle with the background. They would lay in between the two. Okay. So it was like almost in like a crevice in the soil. Well, some geckos do that, the don't they? they? They lay in like, some species of geckos yeah. do that where they lay in crevices essentially and, and if yeah, that's the right temperature and, and moisture yeah. level, they just kind of pop them on top and let them go. Yeah, so they would lay basically between the two. It's still in the soil, so they still dig the soil out and lay the eggs, but they would lay there. They would never use the, okay. the lay box. I still offered it. I kept it there. Um, they would they would hide in it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, my female Y Berber, would, that would be her. She would hide in that lay box during the day. So she wouldn't even be perched on bark or anything. Yeah. Anyway, she'd be in that lay box. That was a little hide spot. Um, so I don't know whether that was something to do with, you know, them like being in caves or whatever or crevices and whatnot. But, um, yeah, so these Maritzi laid in the same spot every time. Yeah. And it got to the point with the Maritzi because they were on – they were harder. They got – they just – yeah, I could never – they got to a point where no one really wanted them at one point. So mm. I basically stopped collecting eggs. So I just left them in the enclosure um, and they ended up just hatching in the closure. So that was pretty cool. Same with the white bird. We did the same with them too. So it was cool. We now come out one night and there's just little hatchling geckos around. I thought they were woodies at first. I'm like, <laughs> I don't feed woodies. Why is there woodies in the enclosure? But um, yeah, it turned out to be a little baby, Maritzi's. I had that happen so, last year with the white berber. I had a couple of hatchies pop out of the ground, which I was pretty stoked about. Usually yeah. I could find where, like I was like, I'd, I'd be pretty confident that a female had nested or every now and then I'd just go for a dig and I'd just spend yep. like a couple, maybe 20 minutes or so just digging around seeing if I found anything. But, yep. yeah, I did have it happen last year where I had two babies running around and causing a muck. But one of them yep. one of them that hatched out last year seemed to have like a bit of a neurological problem where he kept kind of twisting around. So I'm not sure if one of the adults might have just given him a quick, quick bite or something like that, potentially thinking he was a bit of food or something like that. Or if he Do was you have just- any hot days or anything? Over the incubation period? It's hard to know. 
Yeah. Like, you know, that kind of time of year, there's a good chance that there was a few hot days there that might have affected it. But you'd think it would have affected both eggs probably. Yeah. But who knows? It's easy to cook little lizards though. So, it, yeah, I, would, exactly. I, I wouldn't be surprised if something had, had happened to him. But um, yeah. And it is a really cool feat to be able to hatch out some of these animals in in their habitat, in their yeah. little tiny enclosure. And you go, well, that, I find that that's kind of like an ultimate thing because it's, it's a win-win, right? Like you, Yeah, that's right. You find a new lizard, it kind of it gives you a bit of a pat on the back and says you've done something right for them to think that this is a good enough enclosure to hatch out in, you know? So. Yeah, exactly. So you've given them like basically the right environment they need. So mm. there's nothing better than walking in and just seeing those little hatchies running around, especially when you don't expect it. You're like, you're like, oh, what's that? And then you have, so like, it's like a hunt. You're like, oh, there's one, so there's got to be another one. So you're like yep. pulling everything out to try and – my biggest fear is because I use the cork bark slabs and some of the well, get in it. that, that I get in it and I'd like check the piece of cork bark and then I'd put the piece of cork bark on the floor yeah. and it'd just run away. So then I started getting – like if I did that – I get a plastic container and just put the cork bark slab in the plastic container. So if it did happen to get out, it'd be in the container. Yeah, that's a good idea. So it's a very good idea. Was, um, yeah, that's awesome. Well, apart from actually hatching them inside a box naturally, did, how did you go about incubating it when you did find eggs? So <clears throat> I would just use. So I had a bunch of. I would just go to the Coles and buy the round. Chinese containers, like the takeaway containers. Yep. And I would just sphagnum moss, basically. Um, I struggled to find the the one that was already moist. Yep. So I'd, I'd buy the um, block of dry one, just fill it, wet it, squeeze all the water out, just make sure it was actually damp but not too wet. Mm-hmm. Sit the eggs in that. I'd just only do clutch pairs in each container mm-hmm. and sit them in a cupboard in the bedroom in the dark at room temperature. Pretty and easy. Just leave them. Every couple of weeks I'd check it, open it, just a little, little bit of air exchange in there so it the, you know, the air wasn't too bad and that's pretty much all I did. So kind of a hands-off approach and, yeah, no no heat, room temperature. It's another benefit too. Yeah. You don't need to actually buy an incubator to hatch these guys no. out. No, or even fancy incubation containers or anything like that. Nothing like that. What about you? Well, the the couple that I did hatch last year, um, I I just did them in Rob's iron bark tub. So they're like a little over water method tub, and I think I did. I'm pretty sure I just did um, uh, water crystals and water in the bottom of those. Yeah. So you, it just kind of has like a little egg tray that you can sit your little little egg in the top of and and leave it be. But yeah, I did the same sort of thing. I think with those though, what I did have is I had one little hole above the waterline level and one mm-hmm. hole in the, the lid as well, just so there was a, like oh, okay. a little bit of a gas exchange there. So, yep. But I, I did do the same as you, you know, every week or so, I'd just go and crack it, kind of wave the yep. lid over the top of it, just freshen it up, put the lid back down and, and go from there. But, yeah, I mean, I haven't popped many of these things out. I've only popped a couple out, and yep. both from two different methods really. So. <laughs> So I basically just stuck with that method. Obviously, for the odd couple of times I did the enclosure, but every single time I got eggs, I would just same method, sphagnum moss container in the same cupboard, but I'd just organize it. So, you know, the first lot would sit at the front. Yep. Then I get another lot of eggs and sit behind it, and I'd yep. write on the lid what, you know, what it was, if it was Swainy, Waberba. What date. What date it was as well. Yep. And basically, yeah, just 
then the next one, I'd sit behind. It didn't matter what species were up in it. I'd just put it in basically of hatch, like when it would hatch. So basically yep. the first one would be the first one and just the second one would be the next one to hatch and so on and so on. Um, and then I'd just stack them up because basically in the cupboard that I had them in, it was in the bedroom, the spare bedroom, and I had like, books and boxes and everything else in it. So I had like a little slotted area. I was to the, off to the side. And there was the odd occasion when, you know, me and my wife would be at work and I was worried about temperature. So what I'd do is I'd just sit in the cupboard. I'd just get a, a um, bowl and put a um, like a, one of those, you know, those old little screwed cooler things you'd freeze and you'd put in your esky. They'd come with oh, your yeah, yeah. I used to sit one of them in a bowl so the moisture would just trap it in the bowl and I'll just sit that in the cupboard as well over a little bit off to the side so it wasn't too close. Yep. So that would just kind of, you know, some some way just keep the temperature down. Yeah. But, right. Any, um, anything's yeah. a good good shot at it, right? Yeah. I um oh, what was I gonna say then? Well sort of like time frame though of incubation, what were you kind of finding was like the length of incubation for your guys? Around ninety odd days is what yep. I'd usually get. Ninety, ninety one to ninety yeah, I had the couple go over hundred, but that would. But the only time I do is that when we'd have the odd cold snap for like a week or something in between. Yeah. So if we had the cold snap for the, it, it'd send it a couple of extra days over incubation. So, but generally it was around ninety-one to ninety-three days. I yeah. found. But everything I read, it said this was before I bred them. I'd like read all the books and everything else, but it'd be all hundred days. And when one started hatching, out, I was like, oh, am I doing something wrong? Yeah. But basically, around the ninety odd days is when they'd hatch out. Yeah. That, that's pretty similar to me too. I think you, yep. like, even like Danny Brown's books, I think a lot of them are saying like, you know, 100, 110 days sort of thing. Yeah. And I think mine came out about 90 odd, give or take. Yeah. But pretty much bang on, yeah, 91, 90. Yeah. But then give or take, I might have missed a day collecting the egg or a day or two. So, yeah, you could basically say anywhere from 90 to 120 in between that, depending on your temperatures. Yeah. But I had a few, so I always had a, a a temperature probe that did max and min temperature, yep. maximum minimum temperature. There was a few occasions where the eggs got up to about 30, 31, but it was it would have only been for probably an hour or two if that. And that would yeah, have been okay. just the same time as where my shed used to get hot. But I'd come home and I'd check. So first thing I do is just go check it. And, you know, if I hadn't put the ice thing in, I'd put the ice thing in there or turn a fan on, just cool the house down or something. But I find... That short temperature spike for a short amount of time, obviously, if you're getting up over 30, 31, you're getting up around like 34 or something, I think that might be detrimental to the eggs. But, yep. you know, a small hour window of 30, 28, 29. But pretty much the majority of the temperature was around max 28. I think it might have only been the odd day or two where it got over that. But nighttime lows would get down to like 16, 14 around there so probably similar to your temperatures where you were yeah i mean we're, we're not that far from each other really but yeah it's that i, I think you know that just make, makes it even more um obvious to try to choose a cupboard that might be in a room that does stay a little bit more neutral sort of thing yeah so like even thinking about where i'd be incubating leafy eggs this season i'd be thinking um that you know maybe i'll be doing that in the front of the house that's actually straight into where the unit is where it's kind of center of the unit block sort of thing versus yeah. in a room that backs onto an area that might get a bit of sunlight or something like that just to yeah. try to keep it a little bit more stable. So I, have a, I have a kind of a theory that maybe the temperature fluctuation gives stronger hatches in a way. Potentially, for sure. 
So, yeah, so I wasn't too worried about, about the fluctuation and that might be the other reason why, you know, in those books that the – because I read a lot of people putting them in the cupboard in their bathroom on the floor basically. So you got the tile floor, which is cold, concrete. Yep. So that might increase the day incubation period just that little bit longer because the temperature is a little bit lower. So whereas me and you would have had that maybe slightly higher temperature of the afternoon, which might have, you know – shortened the incubation period a little bit more very true i mean i had a system if it's broke don't fix it so that's why i never changed uh, any type of medium or anything like that like i didn't do over water i just stuck with the sphagnum moss and in the same cupboard i did sorry i did use the cupboard in the middle of the house but my house pretty much would be the same temperature everywhere so yeah okay so it's still the same temperature range yeah I think the only thing that I'd change from what I did last time is I'd actually put the egg box in an in a actual cupboard that shuts off to light. Whereas yes, where I right had it is I had it on a bookshelf that was, you know, it would get like a daytime light, ambient light in the room and stuff. So yeah. I'd probably just put it somewhere where it was a little bit darker. Yeah. So my I did the exact same thing. Um, but the th- And it's funny because I, I incubated the chameleon gecko eggs the same way. Hmm. So... Pretty much kept them the same too. It's all in that but, same sort of world, right? Like that yeah, kind of cooler, yeah. temperate sort of species. Yeah. And I mean, people probably do the same with the boys' eggs as well. Yeah. And Well, that's what Coop does. I think Coop does them in, yeah. in sphagnum moss and yeah. just keeps them on in like a shelf in his room or something. I don't yeah. think he does anything special with them. No. But I've also heard of people hatching other stuff the same way. Yep whether it be carpets or I think I actually hatched a, some levis the same way once because I looked at the eggs and I'm like, oh, no, they don't look that good. And I just kind of put them on a shelf. On the, I had a, like a, a rack back when I had on my levis. I just put it on like the bottom shelf of the rack that didn't have a heat cord and then like they ended up hatching. So <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, we all know Owen hatched some coastal carpets by doing that, didn't he? Yeah, forgot to plug his incubator in, so. <laughs> Oh, that's a rookie error, but you know yeah. we all make mistakes. That's too exactly. funny. Um, what about hatchling establishment? So pretty much hatchlings, I would set up in plastic tubs. So I'd get yeah. a plastic, a taller plastic tub if mm-hmm. you could find one, preferably because I'd find that they would use the height more than any other gecko. Um, but basically, just the same way as I kept the adults, not not bioactive, just on. You know, if you, you don't have to go bioactive to keep them as well. So if you keep like cryopeat with a bit of sand mixed in it, that's the substrate I'd use for the babies. Yep. And I just have like a single cork bark slab. I would do clutch pairs to start and just basically monitor, you know, the feeding and this and that. And if I found one was growing quicker than the other, I'd just separate them into separate separate tubs yep. um, and feed them that way. And I just had them all sitting on the rack on the on the floor. Um. And then once they kind of outgrew those, I just put them straight into 30, 30, 45 exoterras. Yep. So something a little bit larger. And I'd just keep just keep the clutch pair in that as well again. Yep. And they would, you know, pretty much, except for the some of the larger species, but, you know, your Maritzi and your Yberber and that, I could pretty much keep them in that size singly though. So I'd separate them mm-hmm. into an enclosure each until they pretty much not quite fully grown, but, you know, well over a yearling, mm-hmm. then till they were big enough to go into the larger one. 
Yeah, I, I um, oh. I think that those sort of like when you put just going to backtrack those tubs that you're talking about, you're talk, kind of talking like twenty centimeters tall. Yeah, plastic yeah, like tubs. A, um, they got a, a clip on. What are they? It's not Systema. No, I don't think it's Systema. They got like the clear lid on the top, and it's got like like little clear circles on it almost. So oh, like okay. A, I think like I know the one you're talking one. about. They're like yeah. a, and they're like a rectangle shape. Mm-hmm. So I just use them. Yep. And basically, yeah, they were perfect. Put a couple of holes in it, um, and then I just spray them down every couple of days just to keep that quiet peat moist and let I'd, I'd let it almost dry out. So instead of keeping it moist and sopping wet, I'd spray it. Yep. And then let it to get to almost so not so it's bone dry. So it's a little bit like if you not almost sticks together almost, and then I'd spray it again. Yep. So, what about you? So this this time around, I mean, obviously it's only the first time I've done it. I just went straight for a thirty thirty exoterra, yeah, um, or the, the the cube, and then just kind of as they got a little bit bigger, graduated them into something like the thirty thirty forty five. However, in the future, I think I'd definitely go to a tub first, just because yeah. I think that's a little bit easier for them to find things, and I'd keep it that's pretty right. simple. I'd pretty much mimic exactly what you said, just yep. to keep it super simple, super easy to keep clean, super easy to maintain. Yep. I think the only thing is, is I might do some sort of like little, uh, either in the lid or in the side, might even do it in the side, but just so, sort of like a little window where I might use like a hole saw or something to cut out like a little vent and then just do some like aluminium fly screen or something hot glued or yep. siliconed onto the side of it, just so then there's a little bit more airflow in there. Yep. Rather that's than just, what I used to do, yeah. I yeah. used to hot glue, just fly screen. Yep. But um, I wouldn't have the bark high enough so they could climb up onto the fly screen. Yeah, yep. But that way, it stopped short so they couldn't touch it. Yeah, so I think the lid, have lid holes around the bottom as well. So that way, there was airflow in the bottom, out the top, or in the top, out the bottom. Yeah, and the ones in the bottom you just made with a soldering iron or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be the way that I'd think about it. Yeah, yeah. But no, yeah. that's the that's the way that I'd probably do it in the future. Did you find they weren't hunting food like well enough in the Exoterra? I think the Exoterra was just a little bit too complicated that I had them in. Yeah. So I think that's a thing with a lot of baby animals in general, um, in particular baby reptiles. It's it's no different to the gill and I. Like the gill and I, I like to have in something super simple, basic, so they yeah. can just find food, they can smash it easy, they grow quicker. And you, you can the, the, the benefit that as was you can monitor the food they eat too. So if you exactly, got, you know that's why I kept them in pairs. But if I found one wasn't growing quick, I'd separate it. And then if you chuck two crickets in, you could see that it ate two crickets. Yeah. I would never chuck. So I would rather feed them every night or every second night than chuck in a too many crickets yep. because I found that they'd stress them almost a little bit as well. So, you know, I would might chuck in one or two. If there was two in there, I'd chuck in, say, say three or four crickets. Yep. And then basically a, a cricket each almost. Um, yeah. And once they had them, they'd come again, do it the next night, do it the next night, do it the next night. Or, do, you know, if they didn't, if, if they didn't touch it, I wouldn't feed them the next night. I'd just skip a night almost. So, it, I 100% agree with like the crickets being able to stress out animals like that. Yeah. Something that you have to take into consideration with leaf tails in particular is a lot of other animals, like let's say uh, Strophurus or, or Oedura and stuff, because they have that sticky toe pad, they haven't escaped from crickets. That's right. They can actually go onto a glass, glass panel or whatever and, and get away from it, whereas yep. leafies, 
don't have that. So the crickets, wherever the, the, the leaf tail can go, the cricket can go too. That's right. So, and, and I do find that they're a little bit more sensitive in nature if they get, like as far as cricket stress goes, whereas if you yeah. chuck in a whole bunch of crickets with an oedura, it's just going to gorge until it's <laughs> can't right. eat anymore or it spews or something like that, you know. So the leafies, yeah, they get a bit weirded out when you do too yeah. many crickets. Especially because you'll find that the crickets will tend to walk over them as well. 100%, yeah. yeah. And if they go anywhere near the tail, they'll, they freak out a little bit too. Yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah. I, it's just mainly for stress and just so I could manage and and see what they're eating to make sure that they're eating because I think maybe the first time I, I had a larger enclosure so it was it was it was probably only ten centimeters high but it was probably twenty centimeters long mm. by about ten centimeters wide and I found that they they're not the fastest hunters so basically yep. they wait till pretty much they come right to them and they'll eat it so I found having that larger enclosure with the babies in. Like obviously they'd still roam and try and hunt, but you know it, they weren't eating as many crickets as I thought they probably should. So then, as soon as I shrunk the enclosure down, I made it a little bit taller, and the base was smaller. So basically, the crickets can only kind of walk around. Basically, it's I think it's like it's probably ten by ten, if that. Yeah. And then it's just nice and tall. But for for one or two, like I'll post some pictures up after this on the when the episode drops on. Um, on the Instagram, and I'll I'll send some to you so we can chuck on the Facebook as well, so you yeah, can see sure. how small baby leaf tails actually are. Mm. So, like, like if you think of the size of your thumb, they're probably like, yeah, the size of your thumb, the cornutus were, and the Swaney Maritsu, and they were even smaller again. So, that's that size enclosure was pretty much perfect. I even thought about getting some of those, um, you know, the acrylic ones you can buy online that like spider. I thought about getting some of them and just yeah, but I just yeah they would have been too, a little bit too expensive. But um, but yeah, it was just easy to watch how much they ate and make sure they're eating. Well, it's important, right? Like at the end yeah. of the day, you got to make sure what food's going in is actually being consumed, and you know you got to yeah. kind of learn how many crickets is too little, how many crickets is too much, and that's right. And roll have some there. that'll eat more than others that'll grow quicker than others as well. So. But any, yeah, I'd always make sure that, you know, if I chuck some crickets in, like I'd have like a system of the way I fed. So I'd feed the babies first and then I'd kind of work my way around and start feeding some adults. And then I could kind of keep an eye to make sure that both the geckos in the enclosure were eating the food. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. How did you go about selling uh, leaf tails? Did you find they were pretty easy to move on or do you have any difficulties? So the only ones I really had difficulties with was why Berber. Yep. R2. Because they are two. Yeah. Um Maritzi towards I did a little bit towards the end, um, after after a couple of years of breeding them, because obviously there was like there was quite a few a few of them getting around. So a lot of people had pairs and were breeding them as well. Um so basically, yeah, I had not so much troubles, but that's kind of when I just let like, let them lay the eggs, and if they incubate, if they hatched in the enclosure, they hatched. If they didn't hatch, I wasn't too concerned. Yep. But of the other ones, I never had an issue. I had like basically lists of people of who wanted them, who'd asked me. So I'd basically, if I had it, if I had any hatchies, I'd either go through the list or any mates that I knew that wanted some, I'd offer them them first. 
and then you know if they didn't want any, I'd just go down the list. And if someone said, no, "I can't right now," I'd go to the next one. Yeah, go to the next one, pretty much. So yeah, never. And then it wasn't probably. I think I only advertised a couple of times. It was right towards the end. I was like, I couldn't be bothered to go through like lists and this and that. I just chucked them up. But yeah, never had an issue selling like the Cornutus. Probably the only issue you may have had was the price tag on some of those ones. Yeah, yeah. Some of them aren't cheap geckos. Yeah. So, yeah, they were, you know, pair like pairs were like $1,200 for an adult pair. Hatchies, I'd sell hatchies cheaper than what you see a lot of them getting around for now. But, yep. um, you know, in individuals, I'd sell for a little bit dearer. But I'd just kind of do a deal if you bought a pair, you know, give them a little bit cheaper because obviously it saves me having to freight you know, one animal here, one animal there, one animal there. Yeah. So if someone wanted two, three, I'd, you know, if you bought a third one, I'd make it even cheaper, a little bit cheaper again. Yeah. Kind of thing. So that's always yeah. nice to do that as well. I always did that yeah. for monitors and stuff as well, where, yeah. you know, one's expensive, two's a little cheaper, three's even cheaper again. Yeah. You, know, you just move Especially them on quicker. You can't really sex them. So, you know, if you get three, you've got a little bit better chance of maybe getting a pair or, you know, or something yeah. else. So, it's the exact same with the monitors and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of people, um, you know, trans, like shining the light through basically and doing it that way, but I tried it. I couldn't see anything, so I wasn't too sure. I've never tried it with a gecko, to be honest. I have tried it with yeah. monitors um, and, and some other lizards and stuff like that, and it's been okay. Um, I find that, you know, for example, just with monitors – uh, I'd kind of give them a couple of months and then yep. you'd be able to see some pretty distinguishable sexual features and stuff like that. You yep. could actually tell the males are starting to bulk out unless you get an unlucky one that kind of <laughs> gives you the female <laughs> look and, and jumps through. So one of my mates, uh, what's his name, Matt? I sold him a, a pair of Gil and I years ago yep. and uh, unfortunately one ended up being a very tiny male. But <laughs> uh... <laughs> must have been the runt of the litter so he's still bugging me every two weeks for a female so i had a bit of a theory with my leaf tails and color patterning and yeah and that yeah. kind of thing let's talk about um, this i've been really interested about this because we've spoken a bit quite recently about this yeah but it's since been put to bed because there's a couple of animals that float so i'd always notice that my females would be darker in color and a lot less pattern in color um and it worked. I'm probably just talking out of my butt though. But it, it, so if I had hatchies, I could almost, everyone that I, like, I wouldn't sell them based on this I'd, because it's basically just, you know, hypothesis. Uh, yeah, exactly. So basically, anyone that I thought was a female and anyone I thought was a male, I'd have my theory. I'd hold them back and they turned out to be every time I did it. So that's why my theory kind of, kept going the way i had but since i've spoken to a few people about it um and they had a similar thought but then there's those odd, odd animals out there that kind of throw that thought out the window so yeah you know we, we talked about this a little bit recently because we were talking about my cornutus and potentially being a similar sort of situation where i have one female that's very almost patternless sort of thing that's the female yeah. that i got off you and then i got a, a another gecko off josh thompson and that one's like very stereotypical cornutus that you see on a lot of those Google like images and stuff. Light and yeah, yeah, and like heavily mottled and and lichen like and all the rest of it. Um, 
And that also that seems one. to be female. So See, that one throws my theory out the window. So I have to double check it again, but the last send time I a, checked, it didn't have any. Next time you check. <laughs> yeah, it didn't have any hemipenal bulges last time I saw but it. But I, th- so. I think I sent you some pictures of, of my female and she was she's similar yeah. to yours. Yeah, very and similar. I don't think I sent you any of my mail, maybe not. But yeah, but they're like, again, it's just a theory, but, you know, it's wouldn't it be cool crazy it. to be able to sexually like have sexual well, dimorphism like sexual in, a gecko, yeah, in a gecko yeah. like that? Like, I mean, obviously, seeing a hemipenal bulge is one thing, but to have, actually yeah. have like a color pat difference between sexes is pretty yeah. cool. Like, once they're fully grown, they're easy to sex. Like, you can oh, tell yeah. straight away. You just, you just look under the tail and you can see the boys and yeah. see the males. You can almost pick them from the top too, um, as well. But, um, because they got those um, femoral pores, I think they're called. No, is that the right word? I can't remember. They've got like little. So on the side of their balls, they got like a little. Each side, they've got like a little. It's almost like a little nodule. Like a spur cluster. Um, yeah, it's like a spur cluster. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's probably what it is actually. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like a spur cluster on each each side. Yeah. So, um, I believe that's what it's referred to in monitor talk, yeah. at least. Yeah. Whether that's the technical the term or not, I don't know. But yeah, it's probably yeah. But yeah. But um I wonder if that like do you, did you ever cop uh get copulation or, or sorry, witness copulation with your geckos? A couple of times, yeah. I never did with the chameleon geckos, but a couple of times with the leaf tails. Yeah. I wonder if that spur cluster or, or whatever it's called is actually used as like a stimulation tool by the males. I saw a lot of tail waving. Yeah. So like they just lift the tail up and then like wave it side to side. It's a very similar to Nephorus. Yeah, pretty much the exact same. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of that. But that okay. was pretty much it really. Well, you know when like uh, oh, you, you, you may or may not, I don't know your experience here, but like when when monitors kind of like start, start courting each other, they almost try to throw a leg over and they almost seem to like wave their tail and, and like almost agitate the spur cluster almost against the female and they'll like yeah. be scratching one of their hind legs as well almost to say, hey, you know, today's the day sort of thing. So, yeah. you know, whether they use it or not being like with the geckos as well, I'm not 100% sure. Somebody yeah. will probably correct us on it, yeah, no doubt. I'm sure there's people out there that know. And we'd love to learn. So Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we'd be more than happy to hear any sort of feedback on this sorts of stuff so yeah no i love learning new things that's why i mean i've probably read it and i probably have and it's just i'm at the point where like something goes in something has to come out (laughs) (laughs) i know exactly what you mean yeah so but like i haven't i've only just started actually reading some books again so i need to sit down and have a few read read a few of them but um I think I'm yeah. going to go read a book right now, mate. Yeah. It's about that time of day, I reckon. And yeah. uh, this has been – have you got anything else you want to talk about quickly or no, pretty – really, other than – Covered? Other than don't be afraid to keep leaf tails. They're not as hard as people think. No. Um, no, they're honestly find not. find them and there's something you want, jump on them because there's something that doesn't come up all that often. Yeah. No. And, I mean, I don't – I'm not like – the master of leaf tails or anything like that i don't know everything but if you're not sure shoot me a message i can yeah. kind of help you with something but they're very cool animals to keep i think they're they they are like keeping an empty box during the day 
But as yes. soon as the night comes out, it's just like yep. it's on for Donkey Kong. Yep. You know, like they're That's all right. over the shop, ready to hunt, ready to do whatever. And they're very impressive animals when you you can walk into a room of a nighttime and go herping in your room. Yeah, do have a good cool. the adults have a good food response of a nighttime. The hatchies not so much. Oh, they the smash adults. food and straight in front of you. Yeah, the big yeah. guys. Yeah. You can actually I could hand feed a lot of my adults. Like off just basically pick up a cricket and they'd eat out of my fingers. Yeah, I do that with the cornudus occasionally, or at yeah. least with tongs or something like that, because their their feed yeah, response is awesome. Yeah. yeah, the Wyberba are good for that too. Actually, I can just chuck in a full handful of crickets, and they'll just go mental. The adults, yeah. they'll just be running all over the place. And you know, for girls that are supposedly probably up around the the eight plus year mark or so, yeah. they're, they're they're still pretty good. So, but yeah, it's um yeah, I mean that's where Danny Brown's book come in handy too. That is a good book I, for leafies. I believe I believe he's he's the master of the leaf tails. He kept I think he kept the majority of the sartorius. I think he actually kept all of them, maybe. Except for the Eximius, obviously, but he was keeping things others. like stroughs and that outdoors as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he's keeping leaf tails outdoors and everything. So Yeah. I remember seeing a quick video, I can't remember where he was or what video it was, but they're doing like a little tour of his place or whatever, and he had kind of like this weird aviary where you walk down a corridor and there's like enclosures off either side that you could access and yep. different geckos and stuff in there. That's unreal. I remember hounding him for years for leaf tails. So, Do you ever get any years. of him? I think I got a, a white berber off him from memory, and that was it, I think, because I just missed out. I think I'd message him two weeks after, and then he was like, oh, I just – Moved everything on. That was when he was getting out. I was like, oh, yeah. So it's a shame. Yep. Oh, well. All right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap this up here now. So we'd like to say a massive thanks to Eric and Owen and the rest of the NPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliapythonradio.com and email them at info at as far as contacting us on our social media platforms, you can email us at australianherptoculture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. For myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Teespring under Beach of Scaly Beasts. We'd hope to have you back for another episode here next week of the Australian Herptoculture Podcast. Good night, guys.